Wanna go, pretty boy? Two minutes by yourself and you feel shame, you know, and then you get free. The only thing better than a glass of beer is tea with Miss McGill. Oh. <laughs> And welcome to the 4th Line Voice Podcast. My name is Darren. Thank you very much for tuning in. Episode 48 of the Big Show, some enforcer-based podcasting coming at you. Brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. How you guys all doing? Another Sunday? Normally, folks, a little different around here today. Normally, we uh, on Sunday, I do a vault episode, which is a, an old player interview from my old website. Um, but today, I'm doing a little bit different because on... And then every Wednesday is new content. Well, I'm assuming most of you are here from after part one. Every Wednesday is uh, new content, and of course, this past Wednesday, I put out part one of the Aaron Bow interview, uh, which has received some amazing feedback, and uh, Aaron is a big hit with you guys, which was cool. Uh, Aaron is a great storyteller, interesting guy, had a hell of a hockey career, went was all over the place, and... Uh, and he can spin a yarn, as they say. And uh, I figured instead of doing, uh, you know, a vault episode, and then like next Wednesday, part two, I figured we'll just do it right now. Um, so today will be part two of the Aaron Bow interview. And uh, you know, again, we uh, we cover his time coming back to the states, and then um, as well as then going back over to the UK and playing for the London Knights, and uh, as well as then his four years in the crazy LNAH, the Quebec League, and uh, playing with uh, Donald Brashear and Sylvain Bluan in Quebec and Dean Mayrad and Sorrell and you know, we cover it all and uh, and then and then we also talk to Aaron about his other passions and uh, and what he's doing today and in terms of uh, um, his consulting business uh, with cannabis as well as uh, working with Riley Cote, you know, really trying to uh, you know. Uh, get people off the opioids and uh you know naturally and uh you know we talk about cte and uh our just arthritis and general pain and uh, and everything and uh like i said uh, i said it on i say it during the interview but uh if anybody has any questions about anything like that uh please get a hold of me um on Twitter, if you're on Twitter, or hey, just go right to the source. Go to Aaron. He's on Facebook. Get a hold of him. Send him a message. Um, he he, or if you want to, like I said, get a hold of him through me. No problem. Let me know. I can I can make that happen. And uh, if you have questions, and uh, Aaron's more than happy to uh, answer any any questions you have. Sorry, guys, you might hear my voice kind of go up. I'm still trying to hold in my coffin here. I'm still still battling. You know, I said, man, it's been about three weeks, but I think I had a bit of a lung infection so uh the only thing i got left now is the cough so and it seems when i talk quite a bit all of a sudden it'll kind of come up so uh which is all you know which isn't very conducive when you're trying to do a podcast so i'm going to make my uh intro brief today besides nobody came to tune in to me anyway but um no guys like i said this is the hockey podcast network um they do um, all the NHL teams are represented on the podcast or on the network. Um, each there's a podcast for each team, so whatever team you're a fan of, check it out. 
and uh, also Terry Ryan's on here, and uh, of course with Terry just releasing his new book, fights, uh, fights, folklore, and no fights, film and folklore, and um, if it is half as good as his first book, we're in for a real treat. Uh, his first book, in case you haven't read that, is called Tales of a First Round Nothing, and it is, in my opinion, one of the best hockey books ever written for myself. Anyway, I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, Terry is a great storyteller. And um, I expect this book to be no different. And uh, really looking forward to it. And if uh, you'd like a copy, uh, Terry has said to get a hold of him on through Gmail. Um, Terry Ryan 2020 at Gmail. And uh, he will autograph it and ship it to you. I believe it's $35. But uh, get a hold of Terry through email. And it'll be pretty believe me it'd be well worth the with the price so um actually as i about to hit record on or as i record this as soon as i'm done i'm actually going to get a hold of terry and buy my copy from him so um like i said help terry out uh you know he is uh, a great storyteller and uh, i think that'll be an excellent book um also away from the network um my boy alec over at the five for fighting podcast um He's taking a little bit of a break now because they're moving, so he's got other things going on in his life. As we all know, we have all moved a million times, and uh, that's never fun. So, um, obviously, he's a little busy, but uh, you can go back and check out his back catalog. He's an amazing guest. Bia Lois, Yablonski, Rob Ray, Pete Vandermeer, um, on and on. Actually, Dan, as I'm saying them out loud, I mean, he's had some really good guests, but, uh, and Alec does a great job, and, uh, no, I really enjoy Alec's show, as well as Joe over at the Coliseum Chronicles. He does a New York Islanders Tough Guy podcast, and, um, again, he's had Mick Fakota on, Dean Ewan, Jason Strudwig, Aaron Asham, um, Right now, actually, Joe's doing a, had a really great idea. Damn, Joe, you, I wish I had come up with this idea. It was tremendous. Um, it's seasons, and basically what he does, he calls it seasons, and uh, he just takes a season from a player's career and, you know, discusses all the, all of us, like he did Baumgart, 89-90, his first year with the Islanders, and he talks about uh, all the fights he had with the Islanders, maybe the incidents that surrounded him, and, um, just, yeah, basically just a, a year in the career, right? And... Um, and his recent one is with Matt Martin, and uh, I mean, uh, I already told you I'm completely stealing that idea. I mean, I'm not going to do Islander players, but you know, like a year in Probert's career, maybe like you know what I because there's a one year there. I, I off the top of my head, I don't know, can't remember the year it was, but um, it's sort of always referred to as kind of Probert's last great year. Um, I think that'd be fun to break down and. Uh, each fight and stuff, and or twist or something. I, I don't know. I think um, I haven't put that much thought into who I would do, but I just really like the idea. And uh, you know, there's so much time on here trying to fill content um, or fill up time. So I think that would be a lot of fun to do. Maybe get a guest on, and we could both talk about it. Maybe we'll get Dave back on from the history of hockey fights, and because he's the big Probert guy, maybe I could get him on, and we could break down. Uh, of one of Bob's seasons, but uh, also I want to get Steve back on from when Probert was king dot com. Um, if anybody's on Twitter and following him, if you're on Twitter and you're not following him, you're you should. Um, he always he's doing a kind of just tweets right now and just little brief um, history lessons, and he's calling hashtag uh, legends in black and white. He does you know old uh, Terry O'Reilly or uh, Ben Wilson or or what have you. Um, just a tweet and just a brief little description. I've, I've kind of really enjoyed them, and uh, you know, especially in the seventies. I mean, I mean, I know the guys and stuff, but um, 
you know, you always want to learn more, right? So, and with the with the message boards and everything gone, I mean, you know, all that information's gone. So, um, you know, it's really tough to. I mean, you could always read about the seventies, but I'm talking about actual, you know, like fight history. I guess that's how I should phrase it: fight history. Um, I'm gonna get Steve back on, and we're gonna talk about the. We're gonna have an old legends black and white episode. I think that'd be a lot of fun, and um, you know, and Steve has so much information and and uh, with dates and, and facts and stuff. Um, you know, um, a lot of fun to talk to Steve. So we're definitely gonna do that. And uh, yeah, other than that, guys. Um, Oh, I was going to say, um, as I'm kind of looking out my window, watching the leaves fall, and man, I think it was about minus 20 last night. Ugh. I hate winter. Winter's coming. Around the, haven't got snow yet, but they're talking 30% chance tonight. Little flurries. But uh, it's around the corner. But, uh, of course, in doing that around here in Saskatchewan, of course, everybody has winter tires. So if you're looking for winter tires, a good deal, and you happen to be in the Lloydminster area, border city as they refer to it as, um, and no, seriously, and if you need tires, not just winter tires, but any tires, um, check out Fountain Tire. It's owned and operated by Kent Staniforth, um, you know, friend of the show, guest on the show, former Moose Jaw Warrior, and uh, Kent was a great guest and a great guy. And uh, no, I was just thinking because what the wife and I were talking about um, uh, winter tires. I just got me thinking about uh, Kent over there at Fountain Tires. I'm like, oh, why is he three hours away? It's a shame. But uh, but if you are closer than that and you need tires, check him out. Like I said, good dude. Go in there. Tell him that Darren from the Fourth Line Voice sent you. I don't really know what that would do, but maybe he'll give you a discount. I don't know. I'm not promising anything. At the very least, he'd have good stories. You could ask him about the time he fought Rhett Trombley or, or Kerry Toporowski. You know, but no, Kent's a good dude. Give me, give me your business. You need the tires anyway. Why not go there? Fountain Tire in Lloydminster. Check it out. But uh, other than that, in terms of sponsors of the show um, or the network, um, CoolHockey.com. I know you guys are into your jerseys. Well, these guys have been around since 1999. They're NHLPA endorsed. And, uh, you know, especially with the draft that just happened, you want to get your latest team's draft pick jersey. Or, hey, if you're a Leaf fan, you want to get a Joe Thornton jersey. Here's your chance. I mean... And I know the diehards don't like the knockoffs, so you want the real jerseys. Or, hey, Christmas is coming. God, that sounds terrible to say, but it is. I love Christmas, but damn, it's only two months away. Seriously? Where'd time go? I think we're all sort of wanting 2020 to be over with anyway, right? But, uh, yeah, Christmas coming. You want to get the jersey? You know, it's been a tough year. Everybody wants to save, everybody likes to save a few bucks when you can. Well, here's the deal for you. At checkout, use the promo code THPN, the Hockey Podcast Network, and you get 30% off and free shipping. And they're out of Toronto. And like I said, I, I always, uh, like, hey, when I was at Jersey City, go to Lids. They want 300 and some bucks for these jerseys. And I mean, and you're at the mercy of whatever's on the rack. With this, you can get them customized. Like I said, hand sewn numbers, fight straps, exactly like the players wear. Um, I always use the example, like, when I did mine, it was a, a number 16 Calgary Flames third jersey with Brian McGratton on the back, hand sewn. Just like what Brian wore on the ice, 185, free shipping, Canadian. How can you beat that? Can't beat it with a stick. Going back to Joe, like I said earlier, big Islander guy. I mean, the jerseys are so cheap, especially because he's out in the states. I mean, that exchange rate, oh, he's killing it. That's why he's buying all these damn jerseys. But I know he's already talked to his wife, but uh, for an early Christmas present, 
Um, not only is he doing the seasons episodes on podcasts, but he's kind of doing like a seasons things for jerseys, kind of like a one year wonder, one hit wonder kind of guys. And the more the obscure, the better for Joe, because he just likes to walk around Long Island with these jerseys with, you know, I mean, anybody can get LaFontaine or Trache or something. I mean, that's, you know, whatever. But Joe's hardcore. Like, we're talking, you know, the B-side, the deep cuts. This is what Joe Lazito's all about. And, I mean, and and this guy, he's often referred, like, whenever I talk to Joe, he always somehow brings this guy up. He calls him the Prince of Prague. And it was uh, Peter Micah. Exactly. I know what you're all thinking. Yeah, talk to Joe. I don't know. That's Joe's guy. But, uh, yeah, One Year Wonders with Joe Lazito. That's how good the jerseys are. That's how good the deal is. But talk to Joe on Twitter. Get a hold of him. Ask him. Because the feedback's all been really positive with Cool Hockey. So, yeah, like I said, they've been around for a long time, and uh, the reviews are all positive. So, THPN at checkout. There you go. Uh, speaking of Twitter, if you're on there, Fourth Line Voice on Twitter, as well as on YouTube. Actually, I really highly recommend my YouTube channel. Seriously, go and subscribe. Fourth Line Voice on YouTube as well. 2,000 videos from junior to pro, any league you're looking for. I got them all sorted, so even in the search engine, just type in BCHL, SJHL, AHL, ECHL, whatever league, NHL, MOUSE. It's all good. They're all there. But, uh, yeah, and I'm, all, and I'm constantly adding new fights. Well, the fight might be from 1992, but it's new to you. But, uh, actually, I'm just about to spin some, uh, what I'm looking at here, uh, 97, 98 Cincinnati Mighty Ducks with uh, Barry Nykar and Lloyd Shaw and Pete LeBoutillier. So we'll see what's on there. I'll throw a few tilts on there for you guys. And, actually, right before I get going with the bowl thing, uh, I will bring up, I've had a few comments on YouTube, and somebody sent me a private message, I'm not going to say who, <coughs> mentioning that they had seen a few fights on my YouTube channel, and they're like, oh, they weren't really toe-to-toe, they weren't that great. Well, first of all, uh, a lot of the times when I put fights up, some every once in a while, a guy that's involved in the fight either follows my... He follows my Twitter account, or a family member does, and uh, that's who I'm putting the fight up for. It's for them. It's not for everyone else. It's it's for them to remember, to have a memory, or to relive a memory. Maybe as I mean, I've had countless stories of, yeah, he, the guy was 18 in the video, but he's 40 now. You know, and he's the mullet's gone. He's got three kids. He sells used Toyotas in downtown Des Moines but at one time he was the baddest dude in the BC Hockey League or wherever and I might have to have a few of his fights so I'll put them on there so it's really cool for his kids to see dad at 18 kicking ass and believe me I've had that story happen multiple times so that's who I'm putting those fights up for they're not just to entertain you so if you view the fights as oh that wasn't a very good one Again, that's not what it's for. It's for the player. Or uh, I've been asked by a certain someone to put that up. Like I said, family member or friend. So that's why I do that. So, uh, but, <coughs> but otherwise, I mean, like I'm going through, like I said, going through the Cincinnati DVD tonight. I mean, yeah, if there's a big kick-ass fight. I don't care who it is. Of course I'll put it on. But also, Lloyd Shaw, for example, follows my Twitter account. So I will definitely, whether, even if the fight 
you know, by it, yeah, not every fight's Tasker and Sand or Marasty and Bosse, you know. So, but even if it's a few punches, I know I'm sure Lloyd would like to see it. So that's why I'm putting it up there. So just to answer that question, it's actually for some reason it's been brought up. It, it's been brought up before, but it was like three times this like past two weeks. I'm just like seriously, like I don't know. I guess some people just feel the need to comment on everything. Like the YouTube comments I get are just why sometimes. I don't understand. Like if you don't like something, why would you watch it to begin with? Like one guy, he's like, you know, he puts, I, I always hated McSorley. Well, then why would you watch the video? Like, did you just click on the video just so you could leave that comment? I mean, I don't understand it. I mean, I don't like Justin Bieber. I'm not going all over YouTube commenting on Bieber videos underneath about how much he sucks. I mean, it's just, I don't bother. I'm like, I don't get it, but whatever. Anyway, I'm rambling now that that was a pointless whatever. I won't, uh, enough of that. But how about we get on with the interview? Um, again, this is episode 48. Please go back and check out the other past episodes. Um, I've interviewed Marasty, McMorrow, McIntyre, Joey Tedarenko, Clark Wilm, on and on. Brad Wingfeld. Um, if you're a UK listener... I've, I've Mike McWilliam, Jeremy Cornish, against Sean McMorrow, Riley Emerson, Joe Grimaldi. I've had a lot, bunch of UK guys on, so please check those out. Um, again, I know there's uh, a million hockey podcasts in the world, and uh, the fact you're tuning into mine, I really appreciate it. And, uh, hopefully, you stick with me and uh, enjoy the content. But uh, without further ado, let's get at her. Here is my uh, part two, the final part with uh, Aaron Bow. All right, guys, thanks. Well, like you said, so you get back to Toledo. And it's kind of a kind of a weird little season. Yeah, you, you start in Toledo, and then, like I said, you go to uh, Arkansas, and then at the end, you get traded to Peoria for the playoff run, and you guys end up winning it. Yeah, so that whole thing. So Toledo, uh, I went back to Toledo. I think that was the second time I was there. Correct? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yep, that was the second time I was there. And I think our, our coach was Gordon. Yes, Todd Gordon? Yep. Or Scott Gordon? Todd Gordon. One of the, Todd, Todd Gordon, yeah, yeah. Scott Gordon played uh, goalie. He was coach later on, too. But it was Todd Gordon. And, and um, that was Detroit's farm team. And I wasn't with Detroit. And Todd basically called me into the office, I think, maybe around um, Christmas time maybe November, right? Because European League starts earlier, right? We yep. started in August, right? We're already over there August. So, like, I, I basically came back to Toledo hadn't really missed any part of the season yet. So I had already been through two months. I was already in good shape and stuff. So when I got there, uh, I was top pairing D-man, and he just basically called me in the office and said, listen, he says, I know what kind of player you are. He says, uh, Detroit's going to send all their bullshit to me, and there's nothing I can do about it. He goes, I don't, he goes, I like you. You're a good guy. He says, you know, we got along great. I, I really liked him as a coach. And he just said, where do you want to go? He goes, uh, he goes, oh, we're going to be horseshit this year. He's like, they're sending me junk. Like He had to get rid of a bunch of guys um, that had been uh, on the team the past couple years because that's the way it goes right one of the unfortunate things was <clears throat> the way the east coast league rules were 
because I started when I was 19, I was already a veteran at 23 years old, meaning I'd played over 200 games. Yep. So you could only keep so many veterans per team, right? So that was one of the shitty rules about the, the East Coast League is there was a lot of players that were better than the guys that they were being replaced with, right? So, yep. um, yeah, he just said, where do you want to go? And I said, well, let's go to our our Kansas. <laughs> it was the expansion team, but Ron Handy was the coach. And I had played with Ron. He was a good buddy of mine, and I played with him in Louisiana. So I said, yeah, whatever. I'm already going to my third team. Who cares? Let's just somewhere warm, and I could swing the golf clubs during the season. So I ended up in uh, Arkansas, now that, and that really was a great place to play. We were just horrible, though. Hans was – it was his first uh, first run at coaching, and Hans was kind of like – I don't know. I think I mentioned him in the, in the, first, the first part of uh, our interview – the first segment, uh, he was like the Wayne Gretzky of the minor leagues. This yeah. guy was just fucking amazing how good this guy was. Um, yeah, people, go look him up. Ron Handy, minor league legend. Anyways, he was kind of like Wayne Gretzky. He understood the game at such a, uh, such a level, he just couldn't understand why nobody understood anything, right? He would just get pissed off, throw his hands up, and walk out of the room like, what can I say? You know, guys just, they don't see the game the same way, right? So it was his first stint at coaching. We were taught awful. Uh, so it, it was pretty much a runaway gong show uh, <laughs> team there anyways. But we had fun. That was another team. I, I think we only won like maybe a handful of games while I was there. Oh, it reminds me. I actually, so there was this, um, I had worn a Joe Fox my entire career, the little Gretzky Jofo. Yep. Uh, you c- I couldn't wear it in Cardiff because you, you couldn't wear it over there, but in the East Coast League and the IHL, since you know I had uh, turned pro, I'd been wearing the Jofa. So all of a sudden, they came in, I couldn't wear the Jofa anymore because it needed a CSA sticker. Right? So I was pissed right off because I was already a veteran and there was, you know, Hands had just retired, and at before they had a grand uh, grandfather rule, uh, and it went. Uh, I don't think it was that year, but it wasn't long after that where they started making guys wear helmets and warm up mandatory as well. And I know that there was a grandfather rule for that as well. But long story short, so I was pissed off. I think Andy Van Helleman was the actual referee in chief uh, <laughs> of the league that year. And he says, nobody can go on the ice without a CSA sticker. So I, uh, we were at a, uh, it was like a dollar store or whatever, and there was this biking helmet. So I took a CSA sticker off of one of the boys' helmets. I stuck it on a Viking helmet and made a chin strap with a piece of tape and a shoelace and, and skated out with warm-up. And the referee's like, what the fuck is that? I go, look, I got my CSA sticker. And just... <laughs> Proceeded, proceeded to try. I tried to come out in the first period, but they wouldn't let me. But I skated all warm up with a Viking helmet on to protest the bullshit rule. Look at that! What an activist! What an activist! Yeah, 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 yeah. Really taking a stand. Hell no, we won't go. Yeah, yeah. This aggression will not stand, man. Exactly. You're a man of the people. There you go. 
Um, well, so then what, like, so, like you said, you guys are dog shit. So did you kind of, did they were like, do you want to get traded? Did you ask to get traded to Peoria? Well, well Hans, so this is the thing is Hans was like, he just came to me and, and he goes, do you, uh, do you want to, do you want to keep playing? He goes, uh, Donnie Granado called me. Says Peoria wants to trade for you. And I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, really? Because like how my mind was working, it was like, and it was already in Arkansas. We only had, I think it was a month left of the season, right? It was right at the, it was the trade deadline day. And I think I was one of the last, like it didn't happen until the deadline, right? And they didn't even get the paperwork in until just at the moment that the deadline had passed. And I remember Donnie Granado called me, and we had no practice that day, and he actually, like, woke me up. It was, like, 12 in the afternoon, and I'm sleeping, hungover. And I answered the phone, and he's like, uh, Aaron Bowe. I'm like, yep. And he's like, Donnie Granado, Peoria Riverman. He said, we just traded for you. He says, how'd you like to come play for a uh, contender? Oh... I don't know, man. I already booked my trip to Mexico with my girlfriend. I don't know. And he's like, what? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it was only a month after the season. I was really looking forward to going to Mexico. He says, uh, okay. And he was he didn't even know what to say to me. And then he starts saying, he goes, well, listen, he goes, we've already traded for you. Uh, he goes, I'd really like to have you here. We need a guy on the power play. He goes, uh, and who, and you know what? It was the greatest thing that ever happened for me because I ended up playing with my favorite D partner of all time, and that's what we call each other, just partner. That's my D partner. Mr. Dan Hodge was my D partner while I was there. There you go. Um, and I got the great pleasure of playing with him, and, and man, yeah, it, it ended up, it ended up being the greatest thing ever. Went to Peoria and uh, made a run. And not only that, but I beat my former teammates uh, <laughs> in the Louisiana Ice Skaters in the final. And we were down two games to nothing uh, going to. So at that, it was, it, you, I mean, obviously we're busing from Peoria all the way down to Lafayette, Louisiana. So it was a 2-3-2 series and we dropped the first two at home. We had home ice advantage, and we dropped the first two, then went down to Louisiana. And when we got off the plane, literally the whole airport was packed. And they used to do the chomp, chomp. Everyone's going chomp, chomp. And they got all these gator, you know, hand foamy things, and everyone had their brooms out. Well, we went into Louisiana, won three in a row, then went back and, and swept them in game six in our building. So... It was a it was a hell of a run and it was a hell of a series. Well, and like and it, you know, and like you say, a championship in any league is you know that's what you're doing it for. And uh, and Peoria has such a history, right? I mean, it's a you know they love the Rivermen there, and uh, yeah, and you played with some interesting characters. I mean, uh, you know, uh, you know, former Saskatoon Blade Jason Christie, Smurf, Smurf, yeah, Smurf, yeah, he was the player assistant coach that year. Yeah, I think he's still there. You know, yeah, and. Uh, you know, Blaine Fitzpatrick and Trevor Baker and mm-hmm. Jason Lawmaster and uh, Cam Severson, you know. Uh, Maloney. Yeah. Uh, was it? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, Dan Hodge, right? Yeah. He was my partner. I mean, 
the great the great Dan Hodge and Dan Hodge Senior. You know, like a hockey icon, that name. Yeah, uh, Darren Clark, Joe Rybar, you know. Uh, Joe Rybar, Dr. Joe Rybar. Yeah. yeah so he was going to school. He was going to school um, to actually become a doctor while, while we were in Peoria. We actually, uh, he was going to Bradley University. So all the boys, too, that was the other thing in Peoria. All the guys lived uh, at the Bradley University right on campus. And we were in these massive, big, huge, like four-story, kind of old, kind of gothic-y. They used to be the frat and sorority houses, but they were tearing them down, right? It's like literally the day we ended the season that we won the championship, two days later, I mean, guys had been partying, right? We we just won the Kelly Cup. Guys had been partying in in, in Illinois. Uh, the bars are open till like four o'clock. So <laughs> there was literally guys being moved. Literally, the the moving guys moving their furniture up while guys are still sleeping upstairs, and literally guys had to scramble to get out of there because the wrecking ball was tearing it down. So we were the last guys ever to live in those houses, and I think it's. Uh, it's a sports uh, sports complex now, but yeah, that was a that was a great time. Doctor Joe Rybar, yeah, won a championship, but I think he played maybe one more year and then he became a doctor, and that was that. There you go. Hey, yeah, led your team in scoring that year. Slick player too was a really great player, real slick. Yeah, great skater, great great mind for the game. Um, well, yeah. So the following year, again, a little bit of a kind of a different uh, year. So we're at 2000-2001. You start the year in the Central Hockey League in San Antonio. And uh, you play 12 games there. Then you end up in Finland for seven games. And then you're back in the in the Super League playing for London. Yeah, so I went down uh, after, after we won the championship. Uh, I wasn't going back to Peoria. I was just brought in. Uh, they basically pushed all their chips into the middle that year because I don't believe they were that good the year after as a lot of guys uh, had left. Uh, the following year, I think Smurf retired. Uh, I didn't return. I think Lawmaster returned, but I don't, I don't even know if Dan Hodge even played another year with them. There was quite a few guys that uh, that moved on. I know we lost our goaltender too, so uh, my buddy, Deb Carpenter, and a guy by the name of Greg Gatto. He was the player assistant coach, and he was a, a Lethbridge boy and a former teammate of mine in Spokane uh, with the Chiefs. So um, I went down there, and we had a really, really strong team, but uh, the coach at the time, I can't remember. Chris Stewart. can't remember what his name was. What's that? Chris Stewart. Chris Stewart. Yeah, probably probably not the best coach I'd ever had. He really uh, he didn't understand how much talent he had there, and he he didn't he didn't quite get it. So I had seen actually funny story. What ended up making me decide to leave is so at the time uh, before I'd gone to San Antonio, um, Miko Makala is the name hockey. People might remember played for the LA Kings, uh, Buffalo Sabers. Yeah, 
<clears throat> he was a Finnish-born player. Uh, he married a girl from Lethbridge, of all places, uh, that he met uh, at the 88 Olympics. So uh, he was coming around summer ice, and he asked a few people, hey, who's who's that guy over there? And they're like, oh, Aaron Bowe, he's played all uh, They said, so we had talked a little bit, um, nothing, nothing too major or whatever. And then all of a sudden I, I got a call and we were, yeah, I think it was only six or seven games, you know, eight games in, uh, to the season. And he, they had an injury, uh, at the Helsinki Jokovic and he asked if I'd be interested in coming over. And at first I was like, nah. And then we played a game against the Wichita Thunder and Brian Wells. You know that name? Uh, yeah. So Wells, Wells was the coach, and Jay Bannock. You probably also remember that name. I do, yep. Yeah, yeah Jay's like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, and can punch you from across the room. So we're winning. We're at home. And Stewart puts me on the ice with like a minute, 15 seconds left, and we're pounding them. We're beating them by four goals. Wellesley puts all his tough guys out on the ice and then just puts his hands up in the air and, and puts the number four up. Well, I'm number four. He's like, number four. And he's yelling, number four. And Stuart, I'm like, really, you're going to put me out? And then he doesn't tie we, we, we The problem was the San Antonio, we had a real good team, but comparatively uh, to the, the Central League standards, we weren't one of the toughest teams in the league, that's for sure. You know, like Wichita had Bannock. They had uh, this blonde-haired kid. Christ, I can't remember. You'd remember who he is. He was a nut bar. He used to run around all over the place. Um, you know, Cox was in Tulsa. There was some pretty Mike Berger. There was some pretty tough dudes. Uh, well, like, in that uh, yeah. Well, I mean, with me and, for anybody listening, with yeah. Me and Richardson, basically, the only two guys that could, you know, what I mean, that could fight heavyweights. The rest of our guys were, you know, were fairly skilled and were, you know, were good players. They could they could handle themselves, but you know, they're middleweights, light heavies at best. So he put me on the ice, and basically their whole team just skates after me. Bannock's chasing me around the ice, like the puck is in the far end, and they're chasing me around the ice. Finally, I fight Bannock, and at the end of the fight. And it was a long, and it was basically me just trying to preserve my head and try to keep it on my body. I I had all my gear ripped off of me, and I was just basically weaving, uh, ducking, and and dodging. Because, I mean, everybody that knows anything about hockey fight, when a guy's 6'7", and he strings you out, there's not much you can do at that point, right? Yeah. You you can't. I mean, I'm not my, my, I mean, I'm 6'4", Almost, I'm six three and three quarters, and I was like literally four inches from landing a punch from him. So the rest of the time was me just trying to preserve my noggin. And I was so pissed off after the game, I called Miko. I said, "Yeah, okay, I'm coming tomorrow." <laughs> Fuck this. Yeah. Well, I mean, and yeah. that, what a you know, like you said, I mean, that's a you know, you, you put a veteran. That's a shit move to put a veteran in that situation. Oh. Anyway, I mean, that's you know, I don't. Yeah. You know, that's Bush. But, yeah, for anybody listening, Wichita at the time, uh, other than Jay Banich, yeah, I mean, they had Jeff Leiter, Ken Fells, 
and Bruce Ramsey and Sean O'Reilly. All Bruce Ramsey, and then there was the, the young kid. I think it was his first year in the league. He had blonde hair. Uh, was probably not Dougie Lawrence. It was probably Ken Fells. It could be, and he just ran around. Yeah, like that's all he did. He just ran around, like looking for me everywhere he went. Like he didn't give a shit. He was straight up just looking for me the whole time. Yeah, and if anybody knows Brian Walls, that guy was a complete nut bar too. Oh, I have I have a few videos on my YouTube, YouTube page of him snapping and swinging sticks and oh yeah oh oh yeah he was a piece of work yeah but straight up number four screaming it and we're at home too which was I was even more mad right I'm like you know I could see you know it possibly you know but when you're up why would you put a first pairing defenseman out there right you put yeah. your you put the russians all on the ice cuz the russians aren't going to fight anyways you just you know when we had a few of them we just put the russians out there and he, he actually put out Deb Carpenter who had a broken thumb at the time so we weren't very happy with him and that was basically the end i left and they they had a, a Tyler Queering was there yep uh Jonathan Dubois yep who was a real slick uh, slick Frenchman. Like, we had a really good good team. Uh, uh, Green, Mark Green. Uh, yeah. There's, you know, it, yeah. it, it, we we could have won. We could have probably won the whole whole thing that year with that team. But Chris Stewart's uh, yeah, yeah. wasn't very good. Baseball. I was just saying, not a, a couple, very good baseball. You had a couple Saskatoon guys on there. You had uh, Garnet Jacobson and Paul Butchkowski. Yeah, old Paul Butchkowski. Yes. That guy's legs, literally, they had to, like, Paul, you got to put Vaseline on them things or what? Like, they just rub together when you walk. It always sounded like he had cords on. He used to be a BMXer, and he had, like, he had legs like tree trunks. Yep, no, I know. He could have had the biggest legs of any guy I'd ever played hockey with, and and he was only, like, fuck, five foot fuck all, too. He was just a short little fucker. But Christ was he stocky and he could skate. Yeah, no, he. Uh, I worked. At the, actually, it was funny. He's he's a cop now. I, I worked at the casino with him and shit when he was going to school. But yeah, he was a Canadian BMX champion. Played for the Blades for five years. Yeah, and yeah, he's a hell of an athlete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one of my best friends growing up in school, John Rondeau, the champ. Him and Paul Butchkowski were uh, that. Actually, it's funny because I knew who Paul Butchkowski was before I even met him as a hockey player when we were younger. Yeah. Uh, I used to I used to ride BMX, and the guy who was the best racer in town, John Rondeau, uh, used to battle uh, against Paul. So I think he's a 74-2 as well, isn't he? Uh, I believe so. Actually, I think he might, might be 75. Yeah, yeah. I think he's the same age as I am. Uh. Okay, yeah, so... Anyways, him and Johnny used to battle all the time, and there was uh, BMX was pretty big in Lethbridge. We had a uh, big BMX track, and they hosted nationals the one year, and that's where I remember him riding the GT. Yeah, Team GT, Mister Paul Butchkowski. You remember? You remember the eighties movie Rad with Crew Jones? Of course I do. Yeah, I know. Well, Alberta, actually. Um, yeah, Hell Track was in Cochrane, right? Yeah, Hell Track was in Cochrane. We were, we went up there. We seen the filming and stuff. There was a couple guys uh, that were uh, in the movie yeah. uh, as uh, stunt doubles and stuff. Um, 
one of the 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 greatest biking name of all time, Duke Hiroshima, who wrote a who wrote a PK Ripper, and he was uh, he was one of those freestyle guys like Eddie Fiola. Eddie Fiola, uh, yeah. you know, at the very beginning of the movie, yeah, where he's got the thing. So Duke Hiroshima was in that movie. Uh, God rest his soul, a guy that just passed away, Tyler Hamilton. They did, uh, you know, the qualifying run. So there was a bunch of uh, Lethbridge guys that were actually in that movie. But yeah, that's a she's a cult classic. Absolutely, Crew Jones. Yeah, there you go, folks. What other podcast are you going to get? Hockey fights and a Crew Jones reference. Look at this, Crew Jones. That's right. Yeah, the star, the star of Rad. It's so funny if you go back and watch that movie. It is so cheesy. Oh yeah, it is. So hilarious at the thing. He goes, uh, the girl, whatever the girl was riding for mongoose. <laughs> and he's like, oh, what's this? Crew Jones and Natalie are going to bicycle boogie. Yeah. He just, it's so cheesy. It's hilarious. Well, that's, that's the, that's the chick that just got thrown in jail for the, uh, for the daughter's admission down in the States. She was in full house. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that's that, her. That's correct, the dark-haired one. Yeah, she just got thrown in jail. Yeah. What did she do? Oh, like they, she paid for, I don't know, they, their kids, they paid the, uh, it was like Stanford or something, their administration, their essay, lied on their SATs or something. I don't know. I could, Lori, what is it, Lori? Oh, I can't remember what her name is. I, I can't believe uh, they yeah. actually gave her. I'm like, yeah. of all the things going on in the world, you're giving people jail time for that. I'm like, oh, okay, but yeah, it was some. Uh, like, uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. So people actually lied on their SAT scores to get into a school. I can't imagine that would happen. Oh, no, like well, the jail time? Are you kidding? It was something. Like that. I, can't, I, I didn't. I didn't pay all that much attention to it, but I don't know. bunch of bunch of rich white people. Because yeah, that's, that's totally criminal, but. The NCAA making all that money off the backs of college athletes, that's not criminal at all. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> but, um, well, so you you played the, so you head over to Finland, and they ended up trading you? In a, or a, how did that all work? Uh, so, yeah, so we were playing in... Um, Actually, I got hurt. Like, I only played seven games, but I was there for quite a while. Um, I broke my thumb in four places. Like, uh, for any Catholic people, it was like the sign of a cross. So my right thumb split right down the middle and then right across. So they had to pin it and stuff. And I, I shouldn't even have been playing. But we were short guys, so, like, I, I, I played. I think I missed... I think I missed a month and a half, and then I and then I started playing again. And we were in the Continental Cup. And for people that don't know what that is, it's like the Champions League, you know, for football or European uh, European football soccer. Yeah. Uh, so the top two teams in every league. So that would be the SM Liga, the Finnish Elite League, the Swedish Elite League, uh, the Deutsche Elite League, the German uh, Elite League, uh, the Russian Elite League. And the British Super League, the top two teams in from the year previous play in this um, this tournament. So we were in uh, London. We made it right to the final four. 
So there was us, uh, health, uh, it was, yeah, it was, who was it? Yeah, it was the Yokrit, and it wasn't, sorry, um, I don't know, I don't believe that London was there that year. We didn't play London that year, but McSorley was there, right? They got knocked out or, or whatever it was, and anyways, they traded me for Lee Sorkin. There you go. Yeah. And, I, and, he used, and he used puck bag. <laughs> okay. and, I, and there might have been some lug nuts. There you go. For the right rear tire of the bus as well. Oh, yeah, and an eight-track player got thrown in there. So I got traded to, yeah, and then they paid a transfer fee. So that's the other weird thing, too. So, like, sometimes you just buy players. Like, go over there, go, here's 50,000 euro, we're taking this guy with us. So that's what McSorley tried to do at the start, was just try to buy me. And actually, I don't know why, looking back, he never liked me, and I never liked him, so... Uh, well, why, did, why didn't you uh, like McSorley? Uh, yeah. Part of it, it just, he was like, he was cockier than the players, if that makes any sense. It was like... You know, your coach should have some sort of... Professionalism? Uh, he was just... Yeah, like, he was just... I mean, he was all about himself. And then he had these, like, complete fake white veneer teeth. And they were, like, big, huge choppers. And all he did was smile all the time so you could see his teeth. And all I wanted to do was punch him in his teeth. He was just... Yeah, you know what? At the end of the day, he was a dick. Well, right? I'd, I'd met Chris... I'd met I'd met his brother Chris McSorley, great guy, but yeah, or Martin, not Chris, Marty. Yeah, I'd met Marty, and Marty was a great guy, but Chris was a dick. Anyways, uh, yeah, I actually really enjoyed London, but it wasn't for the hockey; it was because I was uh, DJing at after hours clubs by then. So I enjoyed the London nightlife. Yeah, I was gonna say that'd be, than, that'd be an interesting. Enjoyed playing. playing yeah, and all oh, the other. Yeah, this was the other thing too. My tennis game got in real good shape. So in the London Arena, they had an indoor tennis facility, and I used to warm up and I used to play all the time. That was instead of me, you know, riding the bike or doing whatever, I would I would go play five sets with a tennis pro. So my tennis game got in real good shape that year, though. Oh, there you go. Well, two of the two of the uh, you know, of course, being a, an enforcer podcast, two of the names I have to throw at you because they're tough dudes, um, and they were kind of legendary minor league enforcers uh, that you played with in London. One of them was Claude Jutras, and the other one was Dave Moose Morissette. Uh, well, you know what's funny? So both guys were my best friends. They're the only two guys I actually hung out with on the team. Claude Jutras. One of the most underrated funny dudes ever. He's got a straight face at all times, and he spoke horrible English. He was just a treat to go out anywhere in in England because nobody could understand a word the fucking guy was saying. It, it was funny, and he would and he was kind of quiet. And then the old Moose Morissette. Uh, we used to have dinner twice a week. Uh, over at Moose's house, and Moose loved his port. Now, for all you wine drinkers out there, uh, you don't want to get too drunk on port. That's for sure. 
that's a, that's a sick that's a, a sickness you don't want to have. So people who don't know what port is, it's like wine, but it's real sweet. It's almost like sugar wine. And he used to just love his port, and I couldn't, I just couldn't get it. I liked wine, but old old moose in his port. Hey, Bozies, you're going to love this. I got just a port. Uh, it's a good bottle. Uh, it's 10 years old. Max, it's a good port. <laughs> moose is a good shit. Both guys, really good guys. Yeah, Morris said he's really gone on to do really well. Hey, and, and, and Moose didn't have to fight too much, right? And neither did Claude. Like, most guys, you know, they, they, they left well enough alone. Uh, there was probably a little bit more fighting. Uh, what I had seen was the first time uh, around when <clears throat> I was there with uh, Cardiff. Uh, after that, most of the guys, you know, like Moose, you'd get, you know, every three games or so, he'd have to go fight somebody in their build or in their building, right? He'd say, okay, let's go. You know what I mean? And then you would, you know, return the favor back in your in your building. Uh, well, I, I have to uh, speak. Yeah. I got to ask you about a guy that's over there, though, and he has he's quite the reputation over there. And it, there's a, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, he's got a lot of heat. We'll put it that way. And uh, he played in Nottingham was Barry Nykar. Barry Nykar. Yeah. So uh, I don't. You know what's funny is like I had heard lots about him. But I, I think I, I think him and Moose fought once or twice. But to be honest, in Nottingham, that wasn't the guy to look out for. It was Barry Nykar. It was Rob Tremblay. Old Robbie Tremblay was probably the toughest small guy I had ever seen. So for people that are older than me, I'm I'm getting up there. Uh, for the real old people, if there's old people listening to this, he was like Stan Jonathan. Well, this was, guy had a right hand. He had a right hand. I think I told the story in the first thing where I, it was yeah. Steve Chair and Eric, and I said, hey, man, don't don't let him fool you. Like, you watch that right hand and you get a hold of it. I said, because he will. He used to just coil up. He would literally turn the whole opposite direction, and a guy would go fishing for that right arm, and he would drop overhand rights that literally that was it. It was nighty night, Jim Kite. You were looking at the rafters. Well, Tr- Tremblay played for Manchester <laughs> that year. Yeah, but was he in Manchester? Because I think he, I thought he was in Nottingham. Oh yeah, okay. But uh, uh, yeah, well, he played on a few teams. Yeah, he I did. know he played. He played was in, on, he was in Newcastle too. Yeah, Newcastle. That's where it was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Nottingham. I, I think Nightcar was pretty much the only guy they had there. Uh, him, that year, I don't think they had a lot. Him and Eric Levine, yeah. Eric, Eric Levine, and yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then, well, yeah. and then Sheffield had a couple: uh, Scott Allison and Dennis Vl. Dennis Vl, Scott Allison, yeah, that's right. Scott Allison, though, wanted to play. Yeah, he didn't really want to fight. He didn't want to fight anybody. Like I said, in 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 where was it? London? Yeah, it was me, Claude, uh, the Moose. Most most teams left us alone. We didn't. We didn't. That year wasn't. You know, the Moose is fighting. Claude only fought a, a handful of times because Claude is tough. You know what I mean? After you got to remember too. We're now we're getting longer in the tooth. We're what twenty? Say we're almost in our. You know, we've been playing for a while. So 
you know, it's, you know, rightly or wrongly, once you kind of get a reputation, you learn how to bark and not have to bite as much because you do a lot of biting. Hands get sore, right? Yeah. Night in, night night in, night out, fighting is, is not an easy way to make a living. That's for sure. So uh, as you get older, you learn tricks. And when young guys come calling, you, you give them the old, yeah, yeah, not, you, you don't get to start at the top, honey boy. You've got to work your way up. Uh, go try 17 first. See how you do. <laughs> well, one more name I'll throw at you before we head out of England here. But uh, uh, when you played in air, was uh, Trevor Doyle. Do you ever have any run-ins with him? Trevor Doyle. Oh, Doily, what a what a fantastic guy! No, I never ever run in with him because uh, we were friends. Like uh, he's another guy. He actually might be one of the few guys I know that had a better body than Dean the Machine Mayrat. That guy was chiseled out of stone. Yep, literally no like one percent body fat. Like the guy was just chiseled out of stone. On four, he had hands like stone, too, and if he hit you with them, you knew it. Uh, but he was a great guy. Horrible hockey player, but great guy. Yep. I used to give him, I used to give him the business. Uh, it was, I remember it was, the, it was the first game I'd seen him, uh, and he was in air. Actually, where my good buddy Deb Carpenter was uh, that year, and he was actually playing on a line with Carpy, and he was lined up right in front of our bench, and I went, Hey, Doily! Show the boys how you could turn to the left this summer. Show them how you were practicing. Of course, the boys start laughing. Fuck you, Bo, or you're going to get it. <laughs> and then I'd say, fuck, you have to catch me first, Doily, you plumber. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah, the good old days. Yeah, Doily was a great guy. Uh, but, yeah, holy Christ. He he literally, he looked like a, Christ, he looked like a, I mean, he had to have been 6'5". He looked like a tight end. He looked like Gronkowski. Like, that's how big he was. He, I don't even think he wore shoulder pads, and he still looked bigger than guys with shoulder pads on. Well, I remember, there, yeah, there's like a there, kind of the picture that went around the internet back in the day. It was famous picture of him flexing, and he's, oh, he's wearing nothing but his can in the dressing room, and he's flexing, and holy shit, yeah, it looks like the front cover of Muscle and Fitness, you know? Oh, yeah, the guy was just jacked. Yeah. Uh, he... he he used to spend a lot of time at the gym, that's for sure. Well, <laughs> I used to spend quite a bit of time at, at the gym as well. Jim's Bar and Grill. He used to have a steak sandwich on for five ninety five every afternoon. So I, I was at the gym quite often. Well, yeah, a lot of, a lot of curls with the 12-ounce curls. A lot yeah. of curls. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, the thing with Trevor yeah. Doyle that always surprised me is right at the end, uh, 0203, he actually played in Laval, but he was only there for like two games and that was it. I was going to say, if there was ever a guy Taylor made for the Quebec League, it was him. You know what, though? I think he got there and he was like, fuck this. This is madness. I just think he just thought, like, for the amount of money he goes fighting these animals, forget about it. Yeah. Right? Like, that, that well, we're going to get to there, but oh, that yeah. is well, plus he was also 30 at that animal time. Animal all together. Yeah, yeah that, and I'm pretty sure that's what the the listeners have been waiting for too. Is until we get to the Quebec League. Well, everybody loves the Quebec League. But yeah. hey, actually, before we leave the UK, I wanted to ask you just because um, this guy always gets talked about as kind of the what do they call him? Like the English Gretzky. Because speaking of error, uh, was Tony Hand. Uh, Tony Hand. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, he. Uh, do you like fuck this guy? He's like the all time leading scorer and shit and. 
Um, do you remember playing against him? And yeah, I do. He was also he was a real good guy. We had a, I had a uh, that I kept in contact with Nikki Chin. Yep. So they they had played. They had grown up together playing, and, and basically Tony was the best player, and Nikki was the second best player in Britain. So yeah, both really good guys. Like really, really good guys. Now Nikki used to be able to fight a little bit. Nikki was tough. He had a he had a head uh, on him. Like I don't even know what you would call it. You say, "Hey Nikki, why the long face?" He had like helmet size garbage can. He had a massive skull on him. So, but Tony Hand was a great hockey player. Yeah. yeah, he was he was slick for sure. He was yeah he was the great uh, the great Britain's uh, version of Gretzky for sure. Actually, you know what reminds me? That takes me back to talking about Tony Hand. Uh, I didn't, I didn't get to touch on it in Finland. Uh, for people that don't know, in Finland, you ever heard of the Golden Helmet? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so you you've heard of it. The Golden Helmet is there's a silver helmet, a golden helmet. So the leading scorer on your team has a silver helmet, like a platinum silver helmet, and doesn't matter what other colors your team is irregardless and then the golden helmet is the leading scorer of the league he's actually got a gold plated helmet on so i think it was my second game and uh, uh, we're playing who was he playing for i want to say he was playing for tampere tampere and we were playing at hartwall arena we were playing at home and his name was uh, Raipe. I can't remember his full name, but that was his nickname, Raipe. And he he may still uh, be the all-time leading scorer in international uh, games with points. And he came across the middle, and he had his head down, and I blew him up. Like garage sale, stick flying in the air, and I automatically got a penalty, and I was pissed. I was like, that was a clean hit. But you would think, I was like, oh, there's there's the best player in the league. I'm going to blast him. Okay? I get to the bench, and Rami Suman, and he looks over at me and he goes, Arska, what the fuck was that? I'm like, what? He goes, that's Raipe. Never hit Raipe like that. Oh, never hit Raipe. There was like a hush that went over the crowd when I hit this guy. And we were at home. Well, I always just thought that was funny. I hear I was trying to make an impression on my team. I blew up the best player in the league who happened to be Gretzky. And they said, yeah, you'll never play again if you hit him like that again. <laughs> I always thought that was comical. And I was like, yeah, guy's got a golden helmet on. To me, it just I was like, well, I, I wouldn't want that. It's just like you got a target on your back. Well, exactly. Yeah. But uh, golden the golden helmet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so here we are. So the following year, you end up in the West Coast Hockey League playing with the Colorado Gold Kings. And and uh, I don't know what happened because Aaron Bow snapped this year because you ended up in 69 games. You had 47 points, but you also had 343 minutes of penalties. And uh, yeah, it was, why, why, why so angry, Aaron? Well, well, that's... That's kind of a long story, but before I get into that, I have to send a shout-out to uh, my old B partner when I was 19 years old, Mr. Beach Peterson. He was my coach, 
and I was playing with uh, Beach. He was, uh, what? oh my God, because if I can't remember his first name right now. Chris, yeah. he played with Ray Bork for years. Alan Peterson? Al Peterson, there it is. There it is, Al, big Al. Well, we just called him Beach. You know why we called him Beach? Nope. He was a he was a he was a strawberry blonde, and he his body had never seen the beach. He was as white as ivory. So his nickname was Beach. There you go. Yeah, I I got to uh, I played with him in, in Atlanta. He was my D partner along with a guy by the name of Brad Shaw, real slick player. Played for Ottawa. Beach played for Boston, and yeah, he called me in the summer and said, how'd you like to come down and play? And I said, absolutely. Had uh, some great WHL uh, names, yep. Zach Boyer. Yep. Uh, Chad Cabana. Uh, who else? Um, Ch- yep, Chad Cabana. Jason Knox. Uh, Corey Lyon. Yep. Yep. Greg Schmidt. Yep. Greg Schmidt from North Battleford. Yep, Greg Schmidt. Yep, North Battleford boy, Greg Schmidt. Travis Thiessen. Uh, yep, Travis Thiessen. You betcha. Moose Jaw Warriors. Yep, yep. Travis Thiessen. Yep. Yeah, and uh, and a goalie by the name of Dobbinsbeck from uh, Wisconsin. He was a peach. Yep. Goalies are usually on the teams. Either goalies are so weird that nobody, just everyone leaves them alone, but Kurt Dobbins back, he was a funny, he was a funny, funny fucking guy, I'll tell you what, we had a lot of good times, me and that goalie. Well, but yeah, that was, we had a, we had a really good team. Yeah, well, that year. and in terms of so toughness. Was spot I would, yeah, there, yeah, there, you, there was. I mean, uh, you had a couple young kids, you had, uh, there were a couple 21-year-olds, you had big Brent Darcy Henley. Johnson. Brent Henley and the late yep. Darcy Johnson, yep. yeah. Yeah, the late Darcy Johnson, God God rest his soul. He was a great kid, too. Yeah, Brett Henley. I remember driving home that season uh, with him back to uh, Lethbridge, and we made a stop where he used to play in Bozeman, Montana. If you ever run into him, ask him how our trip was to Bozeman, Montana. (laughs) I don't know if I can tell this story, but... I probably know. I can't tell the story. All right. Let's just say we let's just say we ran into his former billet. And if anyone knows what tea with Miss McGill is, there you go. Then you'll know what I'm talking about. Well, that's right in the intro. That's fitting because that's in the intro of this podcast is tea with Miss McGill. So. Uh, oh, really? Well, there you go. Then. Yeah. yeah, it was one of those situations. Yeah, tea with Miss McGill. Um. Well, I mean, you br- we briefly just kind of mentioned the late Darcy Johnson, um, and I, had, of course, I had Jordan Roach on, and we, and him, and obviously him and Darcy were friends. Um, he, Darcy was a solid player, though. You know, he was a tough kid, but he was he was a good player. Well, he had. I if you if you've got those stats in front of you, he had a few goals that year. Like he played on the second power play unit. He had really good hands, and he could he could move up and down the ice too. Yep. And like we played. We played in Colorado Springs, right? So I don't know if people know, but that's like even higher than Denver, right? So we played on Olympic-sized ice, right? We played at the home of the Colorado College Tigers. So it was Olympic-sized ice, and, you know, we're in one of the highest cities in all of North America. So we had an advantage 
uh, on some teams just because we, we we trained and practiced at that altitude all the time. It was funny, though, because we would go to San Diego and we would just drag ass as soon as we their first game. Every time we went back down to sea level, it was like your legs were heavy, you, you're winded, and then it was the, the reverse. Whenever San Diego or those teams uh, came to see us, it was the same for them. Speaking of San Diego, Mark Wolf was on that team at the time, and a, and a kid who I think he was in his rookie year, Ashley Langdon, yeah. well, was he, on that team. Well, you had 343 minutes in penalties, but probably should have led the league, except Ashley Langdon had 515. So, yeah. Yeah, that's right, he did. He, 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 he burst onto the scene. Yes, we yeah. went. We went a couple times. Me and Ash and I remember my my dad uh, had come down to one of the games, and I think yeah, like I'm four or five years older than Ashley. And my dad's like, Jesus, who's that kid? He's like, he's a tough kid. He goes, that was a hell of a fight. I said, yeah, he can he can stand in there. That's for sure. He's yeah. not afraid. Well, and of course, he's San Diego had Martinson coaching too. We played. Yeah, we played, we played together uh, later on. We'll get into that later, but there was, uh, who else was down there? Sasha Lakovic was in... Uh, Bakersfield. Bakersfield. Yeah, well, Bakersfield had him and jo- Josh Mazur and Lakovic. Fresno had Brad Booth and Spenrath. Greg Spenrath. Yep. Greg the Viking Spenrath. Exactly. There's a blast from the past. Yeah. Well, Chad Richards is in Anchorage, of course. Yep. And then Idaho had Idaho had Yablonski and Terry Ryan. Yablonski, God, that guy was funny. I guess he's uh, some sort of motivational speaker or something now. I yeah, he's yeah, he's a little different. Yeah, that's a tough dude, boy. Yeah, yeah, he was a, he, he was another guy that I was like. He, I remember he used to come chirp at me and want to fight. I'm like, dude, that's like trading a fucking canoe for a battleship. Get off the ice. You're only going to hurt the team. He'd get like four shifts, and he'd basically try to chase somebody down, but he couldn't skate well enough to do that. So, Yeah, he was and then T-Bone was Terry, right? Yep. Terry yep. Ryan's Terry. A little unpredictable at times, and, you know, but for the most part, T-Bone just wanted to play. He fought if he had to. They had a good team, though. Yep. They had Spot Burst, who I'd played with in Toledo. They had yeah, uh, Skirmerhorn was there. Dan Skirmerhorn. They had they had they had a pretty good squad there. I think they may have even won one of that year. I believe they did. Yeah, Bobby Stewart, Jeremy Millamock, and yeah, yeah, Jeremy Millamock, a great, real good, solid defenseman. Yeah. Uh, his kid is. Uh, I think his kid went to Notre Dame. He went to Notre Dame. Proud Notre Dame family. There you go. Oh, another guy I have to mention, of course, in Idaho, former guest, uh, former Spokane chief too, Chris Graff. He was there for a little while. Yeah, Graffer. I have to. I know he's listening, so I got to throw that out. He's another tough dude. Oh yeah, Graff. I think he. I'm. Was he? I think he could have been there with me, only for a short time in Spokane, possibly. Or was he after? He I was. A- he was after. But I think. Uh, I I talked to him, and he said, "I believe you had." You had maybe come for training camp, and he was there with you as a rookie? That's what it was. Yeah, you were just there to skate before you went to camp, Vancouver camp, I think? That's correct. 
Yeah. Because yeah. he knew you. Because I talked to him. He said he hung out with you at night a couple times. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember him because I remember exactly what he looked like. He was kind of like a, kind of had brown, wavy hair. I remember him. He was just 16, I think. He was just a rookie. And that was when Sawyer, had, had Sawyer come in? There was Sawyer the year before. Uh, Kevin Sawyer, there was uh, Padolan, Jason Padolan. Uh, yeah. There was a couple other young kids there. Well, it was like Jay Bart, Ty Jones. Yeah. That's it. It was J.J. Birch. And, yep, yep, that was that crew. Yep. Sean Gillum. Yep. Gilly was there with me the year before. He's another He's another minor league legend. Yeah, Mike Haley. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? That was a great place, the Boone Street Barn. I've never even seen their new building, and that's like in 20-some years ago. But that old Boone Street Barn, they had the plastic glass. So the glass, when you hit somebody, literally the glass would move six feet. Like it was like getting hit into a slinky. <laughs> they, uh... As opposed to being hit in Saskatoon where it's like being run into a brick wall. Yeah, well, I've heard and that size plate. The ice is really shitty, too. Yeah, it's like skating in quicksand. Yep, 100%. They, um, so, well, well how did, what did you think of the West Coast? Where are we? Yeah, we've, we've lost ourselves. Well, I mean, you're in, so you're in Colorado, you're in the North Division, you play Idaho, Tacoma, Anchorage. Of course, then out south, you got San Diego, Long Beach, Fresno, Baker. Why aren't you playing in the south? Why didn't you go play in San Diego or Long Beach? That seems more your style. Well, the thing was is when Beach called me, uh, and I knew which guys were there. And the other thing was is my cousin, my older cousin, Rick Bo, who uh, was a Colorado College alum, uh, and he played for the Minnesota North Stars. Uh, we had a cup of coffee with them. So I had already connections because as a kid, I my grandfather had a satellite dish. So I used to watch all his games uh, down there. He had also uh, played in Penticton for the Knights with Brett Hall. Uh, so I was, you know, he was my older cousin. I was a fan of his. I used to go to the Penticton Knights games whenever I could. I would get my parents to drive me all the way out to BC, and, and I would stay with my aunt and uncle, and I would go watch Rick's games. So um, Beach was such a good guy that I was like, yeah, I'll come play for Al. Cause, just because he's a player's coach, doesn't yell, doesn't scream, you know, go out, do your job type thing, you know, was was a was a great guy to play for. And I would have gone back the year after, but the team folded, and it's too bad. Because I really enjoyed, really enjoyed playing there. Colorado Springs, uh, we pl- I played with a guy named, by the name of R.J. Enga. Yep, and his dad was a colonel in the air force. So I mean, I got I went right inside Cheyenne Mountain. I've seen NORAD firsthand. Wow! Went right into the mountain and toured, and yeah, Pikes Peak. Uh, had a buddy up there that raced the Pikes Peak in a Porsche. Got to do that a couple times. Right, run a car up the Pikes Peak. So it was a good place, and uh, we flew everywhere. That was the other good thing too, right? Colorado. You know, the teams in the South, they didn't, right? They would boss, but we, there was nobody close to us. So everywhere we went, we flew. And I always used to really love beach. Beach loved it. I used to love the, uh, the airport games, you know, put, uh, take the fishing line, 
put a piece of tape on it, put a $5 bill, throw it out in the aisle, right? Watch people come to go bend over to pick it up, and you pull it away from them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We used to do that at the casino all the time. Hey, go, go, yeah. uh, going, going to the white phone. Uh, with the white phone, please, uh, Phil McCracken, please pick up a white phone, Phil McCracken. You know, shit like that, I was always so. But I enjoyed the airport. I I could always find ways to uh, pass the time. Well, all right. Here it is. So the following year, we headed to Quebec. And, uh... The Quebec. Yeah, you're, you head to the uh, the Quebec. At that point, I guess it was still called the Quebec Senior Hockey League. Uh, it wasn't the LNAH just yet. Uh, but nonetheless, the vibe was the same. So you go to St. John, and, uh, of course, everybody, all of you listeners, they always enjoy hearing the Quebec stories and the craziness that's the Quebec League. You were there for four years, so I imagine we're going to have some tales here. But how did you hear Because the league still hadn't really blown up just yet. How did you hear well, about the league? The first, yeah. yeah, well, this is the first case. I knew nothing about the league. Yeah. Okay, so I have no idea about nothing, and I had already signed my contract to go to Colorado. Well, Colorado didn't fold until, like, I was about to leave in three days to go down there. I was going, so when, when I was in Colorado, I had my own radio show and stuff too, right? So I was going down a couple weeks early because uh, I, I, I did a weekly radio show every Friday. Or it was either every Friday or every Monday, which, whichever when we weren't traveling or whatever. So, and it was an hour, and, you know, I, I had things set up there pretty good. Um, had a great little hole-in-the-wall tavern right next to my place. So it was a, it was a great spot. And so basically all the teams had already signed all their guys, right? Because yeah. I, I wasn't even looking for another place. I was heading back there. Well, I, I don't mean to so cut you up, but when you're talking about the West Coast League, at that, at a, you know, we're not, I'm not going to ask you for your tax returns or anything, but at that point, was the West Coast, did you make more than the East Coast, money-wise? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, guys were making more. Guys were making more. And I'm actually, to be honest with you, it was, I think, was it the next year that the East Coast swallowed up the West Coast? I think... Uh, it was the following year. I think they made it right through one more year. And then some of the teams dropped out, like the Tacoma Sabercats. And there was a few other teams, that were, like Long Beach, yep. right, that never ended up making it. And they went back uh, to the East Coast League. And for whatever reason, it's too bad because Colorado, that was a great, great arena, world arena. Uh, it was a great place to play hockey. And the fans there were knowledgeable, too. It wasn't like, you know, you had Denver, what, 45 minutes up the highway with the avalanche. So, I mean, it's Colorado. They're they're hockey-savvy people. Oh, well, the Colorado Eagles do awesome now. Yeah, like the Colorado Eagles. They, yeah. The oh, it's okay. So Colorado has a team again. Oh, yeah. They're, Amer- they're the Avalanche's American Hockey League team. Yeah, and it only makes sense. You're 45 minutes down the road, right? You got you guys can see them all the time. Your training staff can look after them. Your doctors, all of that stuff. So yeah, it only you know it only makes good sense. But yeah, it was uh, it was, and at that time, 
The IHL had just disbanded, what, a year maybe before? Yeah. Two years before? Yep. So what you ended up having was guys that wrote. So what you had was all oh, guys like Zach Boyer, uh, Corey Lyons, Mark Wolf, right? Guys that were uh, that were definitely, you know, a mid to high end IHL, AHL guys, Zach Boyer, uh, you know, there was a ton of guys that were real super skilled that were playing in that league. And then some of the older goaltenders. So to be honest with you, uh, the West coast probably would have kicked the shit out of the East coast league, uh, for those couple of years that they were running because they had basically pick of pick of the litter out of the guys that didn't want to play in the cocktail, right? Yeah. There was a, it was a little older. Yep. Let's put it that way. There was a, there was it was it was kind of an older friendly league, which was kind of like the IHL, right? Like uh, the old IHL. There, I mean, it was fantastic hockey. You could take the you know third and fourth lines out of the NHL and, and substitute them with the first top two lines in the IHL, and you wouldn't notice a difference. Yep. No, I miss the IHL. The IHL was awesome. I love the IHL. Yeah, the IHL, and in fact, it was kind of funny because at the time when I was playing the IHL, the IHL was uh, kind of adopting more of that European style even before the NHL had, right? Like, it was more kind of run and gun, a little more wide open, but it still had the tough guys, right? So, I guess, you know, if you went right down a list of IHL and AHL teams, IHL had super heavyweights but just not as many fighters. The rest of the guys were fairly skilled. Right? But they, you know, like the IHL to me was was far superior uh, than the AHL as far as pace, uh, as far as skill level. The IHL was like just a fraction, you know, below the NHL. A lot of good hockey players there. Yep. But uh, now you got me lost. No, oh no, no. So you go to Quebec, yeah. So you're in St. John, yeah. So Colorado phones you. Hey, yeah, Aaron. By the way, we folded. Sorry. Uh, so you're sitting there thinking, okay, what the fuck do I do now? So how did you end up in the Quebec League? Seeing as you didn't hear, you didn't I know about it. it. No, I had no idea about it. So what I was actually doing at the time. Uh, I was still in contact with Miko. Miko had actually become my agent uh, when I went over to Finland. So uh, Miko was my agent, and I just said, well, can you try to get me... And it was, what year was that? Was that the not the very first lockout? Was that the second lockout? Uh, not yet. The, the second lockout was 04. Oh, yeah. This is 0203. Still a couple years. 0203. Okay, so I think I was trying, but it was too late, right? European leagues had already... They were already two months in. So I'd already missed, that's right, I'd already missed my window to go back to Europe because I said I was going to Colorado. And I think it was, shit, the Quebec League had even started. And uh, I was just twiddling my thumbs at home going, well, what am I going to do? So uh, actually what I was going to do is I was going to try to see if, uh, and right at that time, I was going to go back and see if I could sit out. Uh, I know that you can now, you you couldn't, but it was just, they were just starting to, if I sat out a year of university hockey, and I could go to university and play university hockey. And I was actually trying to pursue that at the time, and I just, ah, you know, 
you know, if I, you know, Colorado doesn't work out, I haven't got any calls because everybody's already full up on guys. So it was either I was going to go back to university, sit out a year and see if I could play in the CIAU. Um, or I knew that, you know, a month into the season, guys are going to have injuries type deal. And I could have gone back to Toledo, but I think they'd become the walleyes at that time. And I didn't know uh, the team or the organization anymore, so I just decided not to go back there. Uh, and, yeah, I was skating with the U of L, I think, at the time, and I got a call from one Mr. Tony Charcello. Tony Charcello was an Italian, a French guy who ran the Saint Jean de la Mission. That's literally his voice. Hi, Aaron. My name is Tony Charcello. I want you to come to Saint Jean and play in the Quebec League. I see you got uh, 300 and uh, some minutes. He says, you're going to do fine in this league, I think. Right? And that was basically his thing. And then, you know, they were throwing a lot of money around, too. Yeah. So I think uh, yeah. what I signed for was like, I think it was 2500 a week. So it was two games for 2500 Yep. So it was like 1250 per game. I'm like, okay, I'm in. Yep. <laughs> and I wasn't one of the highest paid guys on the team either. Because I think they were paying me and Sasha. That was the other thing, too. The perks were just outstanding. Sasha uh, Lakovic, myself, and I'm trying to think about who else was in that hotel. I think it was Hewitt. Yep. John Hewitt. Uh, maybe one other guy, but we were staying. Oh my God, I can't uh, think of the St. James Hotel in Old Montreal. <coughs> so if anybody wants, uh, if anybody wants to see the fanciest hotel in Montreal, it's the St. James. That's where the Rolling Stones stay. Uh, it's like something ridiculous, like you know, eight hundred, a thousand bucks a night. To stay at this place, your your room key's got like a velvet tassel on it, and it's gold plated. And you're the maid. You'd get this knock at the door at night, and it would be the maid. She goes, "Hello, sir. Would you like me to turn your room down?" And I'm like, "What does that mean?" I'm like, "Okay." She would come in, draw your blinds, adjust the lights, and pull the duvet cover back on your sheets and say, is there anything else, sir? No, 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 that's fine. Thank you. Thank you very much for that because I couldn't have done that myself. <laughs> it was ridiculous. And Sasha, I remember we, we we were there for, oh, shit, we were there for a couple months, and I remember Tony was, oh, shit, what's going on at the hotel? Oh, Fuck, I'm going to lose my job. I get the call. Sasha, he ran up $22,000 in one month. Me and John Hewitt, we were pissing our pants. We were we were scared because we'd run up like two or 3000 and we thought we were in trouble. But no, it was Sasha because he'd run up $22,000. Doing what? In one month at that hotel. Oh, room service, this, that, you know, the, the mini, you know, the mini bar, at the, you know, that doesn't last very long. <coughs> that's, that, that's true. Yeah, yeah. You have a 
Do you have a couple people over? You know, you come back from the bar. Ah, a couple people show up for a for a late night nightcap. You know, the mini bar. The mini bar goes missing, and in a hotel like that, you just call down to the concierge and say, "Concierge, uh, I would like some condoms, some Viagra, a bottle of whiskey, and two bottles of wine, and a chicken cordon bleu, please. Oh yeah, and a steak medium rare. Thanks." At any time of the night, and it just that's how it is there. So you <laughs> you could uh, you can figure out how easily a guy can start running up bills there when you just pick up the phone and the guy runs right up to the room and you get whatever you ask for. Well, so you're living the rock star life in the hotel, but uh, when, oh, yeah. you sh- when you show up at the rink and and you start, well, what was your first introduction? You telling me about Valentine or uh, Valente? Telling you the power play and shit. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Tell oh. that story. Yes. So it's my very first it's first game, right? So and it's you got to remember, it's like I I speak for I can you know I can understand and speak French now, but I spoke none then. Right. So all the guys there was like who's on the team? Pierre Gendron, a real good player. Christian Sabroka, uh, Ronnie Valencia. Most of the guys are French speaking. Okay. Yep. And I and I don't know this. And, and there was actually Sabroka that called me and actually convinced me to come because he was playing. Um, I played against him previously. He was playing for the Pensacola Ice Pilots, along with a kid by the name of Shane Calder that's from Saskatoon. Indeed. And yep. Him and uh, yeah, and him and Yak Sean Yak Commission. Another guy. Who yep. I played with both of those guys in Columbus. So. Uh, Sabroka was real good buddies with Calder, and I had gone out with those guys a couple times uh, when we were staying overnight in Pensacola, and I got to know Sabroka really well. So he said, yeah, man, he's like, we've got a real good team, and we did. But what I didn't realize is there was a team called the Laval Chiefs. I had, I had no idea about nothing. <laughs> and so that year, you know, they made the, the movie Lace Chief. That was, I, I believe... I believe that was the year I got there. Or it was the year before. I can't remember. You're going to have to check on that. You'll have to ask Mr. Mike, Michael Bajerni because his brother made that film. It was, but I think it, it, was, it was the year before. The year I got there was the year before that they made it. Now, it didn't come out till two years later, but yeah. that's when it was filmed. <laughs> so we had a pretty good score. Pretty good squad. I'm looking on paper. Okay, I know some of these guys. Oh, Wes Swinson. Oh, yeah, okay. we got some hockey players here, right? That, that was basically what sold me. I had no idea about fighting. I had no idea about anything. I mean, Jean-Drone, there's, uh, you know what I mean? There's some decent guys there. Lakovic's there. I'm like, okay. I think, uh, was Crowder on our team then? Troy Crowder? Yep. So Dino was on the team. Dean, Dean, uh, Dean, Dean the machine friend. Yep. Uh, yeah, who ended up becoming my roommate after we got kicked out of the hotel? Who was he? Was my roommate? God, God bless that man! What a beauty! Yeah, uh, and, yeah. Like uh, I said, uh, Ryan Ryan Pisiak, John Hewitt, uh, Steve McIntyre was there briefly for t- uh, Steve McIntyre. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was it Gilliam Richard? Yeah, Ronnie Valente. Valente. Yeah. Yep. Was it Richard? Was it Gilliam Richard? How do you say his first name? Yeah, Gilly was there too. That's right. Yeah, yep. that's correct. Gilly was there, and I think the it wasn't that year. I think it was the year after Roach came. Um, yep. 
Okay, so where are we? Oh, yeah, so my very first game. So I walk into the dressing room, and we got to remember, we're, we're playing in St. Jean, so we're staying in Montreal. St. Jean is on, uh, is off the island, right? So Montreal is an island, and there's like four bridges to get on and off the island. One in the north, one in the east, one in the south, one in the west. So it's kind of a pain in the ass. And uh, I remember, I think Lakovic, we had a rental van or something, and Lakovic was driving. And we took her out to her. We were, we were late, kind of coming into the, the room. Guys were already getting suited up. We had maybe, I don't know, 40 minutes before warm-up. I said, we are getting dressed, and I had, like, there's no coach. Like, I haven't seen a coach walk in the room. I haven't seen nothing. We had a guy by the name of Bob Desjardins. He was the assistant coach. But really, he was our coach because our coach was Tony Charcello, who was just a big Italian-French mobster. Basically wore a black trench coat, red, red, like blood red tie, and a black and white pinstripe suit every day. Exact same suit, exact same trench coat, it didn't matter if it was summer or winter. He dressed the same every single day. So I didn't even know that Tony was also the coach, but apparently he was. So we don't see anything. So we go out for warm-up. Uh, I'm like, who the fuck am I playing with? Wes goes, you're playing with me. And I'm like, yep, perfect. Okay, I got my D partner. So warm-up, nobody, you know, nobody says nothing. Right about anything, not lines, not who we're playing. Like normally, you go in a room. Okay, here's who we're playing tonight. Watch out for you know, and you go through basically guy by guy who they are, what they do. You know what I mean? You basically break down the other team before you go play them. Nope, not in the Quebec League. All of a sudden, it's like Bob Desjardins walks in. He goes, "All right, boys, two minutes," and walks back, walks back into the coach's room. I'm fucking, we're putting on our gear, and Ronnie Valenci is this big, giant, like, he looks like uh, a forklift. He's built like a forklift, right? So he's maybe 6'1", maybe 6'2". I think that's stretching. He's probably more like six foot, but he's like five feet across, right? Big, muscle-bound, goes to the gym all the time, barely speaks a lick of English, at all, like can barely speak English, and he doesn't wear shoulder pads. He's got suspenders with uh, the Bobby Orr cups. You remember those old Bobby Orr yep. Cooper uh, shoulder pads with just the little <coughs> black cups on them, said Cooper on them. He's got those sewn onto his suspenders, and he doesn't wear a t-shirt underneath. Just bare skin. Just pulls up his suspenders, and he's sliding his jersey on, and. I'm like, hey, uh, like, what's the fucking breakout? Ronnie puts his helmet on, buckles it up, looks right at me, goes, kill the fucking people. And the, all the boys, yeah, and they went outside, and I was like, literally, I felt like, uh, I felt like, what's his name from? Jesus Christ, God save us. Like, yeah. what the hell have I gotten myself into? Yeah. What's the breakout? Kill the fucking people. What? <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, I got I got quickly introduced to the Quebec League because uh, lo and behold, who do we play? I think it was Laval that very first night I got introduced to. 
Patrick Cote, Mike Bajerni, Chad Richard, Bobby Dalla. Oh, Christ, who else? They just had one monkey after another one. Well, yeah, you know, uh, Craig Martin and Jason Renard and Shane Kenny and Mike DeGurst, Jesse Jesse Razanzoff, Matthew Rabby. Jesse Razanzoff, yeah, and Razanzoff was a skilled guy. So I want you to think about that. Like, Razanzoff was one of the, like, 10th toughest guy on the team and played on the top line. Yep. Dan Dan Kopech, yep. Oh, Dan Kopech, yeah, yeah, oh, Jesus, what a gong show place that was. I tell you what, there's, I've never been ever in my whole life that I've ever been ever afraid going on the ice ever at any given instant, and at least three or four times in my career, I was like, I'm fucking scared. Like, this may not turn out well. well it was something else. It was something else, for sure. Well, I'll put it to you this way. There was times in the Quebec League that I would literally knew when we were playing against Laval, I wouldn't tie my skates up at all. <coughs> I would literally just lace them up and I would skate over to the bench because the first two minutes of the game sometimes took 45 minutes. Yeah. There would be six fights at the drop of the puck and there'd be another fight and another fight and another fight and another fight and another fight. And I'm like, okay, until there was basically only one line and uh, a pair of D-man left. No. And then <laughs> it's time thing, to play. Like, honestly, it, was, it, was like a, it was a double-edged sword. Yeah, I had to fight in that league. But because I was a good player, I was always top two pairing defenseman. So, I'd be like, well, somebody's got to still play the game and pass the puck around, right? So, you know, Dino, all those guys... They would run a list. Well, we, 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 you just named off all those guys. Now imagine if every single one of them squares off, right? One by one by one by one by one. Right? First period sometimes took two hours, and I'm not joking. There was times in that league over the course of four years. Well, first of all, I'd only been in one bench-clearing brawl ever in my life. I was in four the first year I was there. Yeah. Four bench clearing brawls, like complete mayhem. Where I was like, "Oh my god!" Uh, went in the stands twice. Uh, did the owners ever come in? And tell you, did the owners ever come in and tell you to start a brawl, and they'll pay you extra money? Like I've heard of that happening. Did that happen to you? Uh, okay, so it wasn't like they would come in and start a brawl. They would just come in and throw five hundred dollars down on the table. Yeah. Right. I, I remember, I don't know, there there was a lawsuit all, over all this, this crap, but I do distinctly remember Tony Charcello coming. Pesiak had broke his hand and he had a cast on, and a guy who I became real good friends with and I'm still friends with today, James Smallprint Linos. <laughs> yep. Linos, yep. Yeah, the lawyer. Yes. Jimmy Smallprint Linos. I actually used to go to him, so he's playing in this league, much like Joe Rybar. He's playing in the East Coast League, and he's going to school to become a doctor. Jamie's playing in the Quebec League, and he's going to become a lawyer. He's going to law school. And he's fighting all the time. And I, and I, oh, and I would just, I would go to him. I was like, what the fuck are you doing here? I'm like, you're smart. 
Hey, you're going to Christ, you're going to McGill University to be a lawyer. What the fuck are you doing playing with these idiots? Hey, he was a tough guy. He was, he's just an amazing, amazing all-around guy. Uh, you know, he's just one of those guys. He was tough, and he was small, too, for a small guy. Christ, he was giving up four or five inches and, like, 30 pounds almost every night he fought. He was something else. His brother was pretty tough, too, Justin. Yeah. Oh, they played in that league forever. They both. Well, and, and Jamie was yeah. in the- Jamie was in that uh, enforcer tournament that Mayrad won, the pay-per-view tournament. He was in that, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. oh, I know. And, and Raph, those guys all. I remember them coming. Bold, are you coming in this? And I'm like, why? I like So I could go fight you knuckleheads again? Like, no thanks. I'm good on that. I'll watch, though. Yeah. I'll come and watch. So I'll, uh, I'll cheer for you guys. Yeah, that, that's just, you know, it, uh, I, I tell you what, though, that league was something else. There wasn't wasn't a seat to be found nope. at any of those games. So, I mean, yeah, it was a complete gong show, but, you know, I mean, every single weekend you were, you were the biggest, you were the biggest ticket item that there was, right? And then I think it was my third year. Uh, there was the lockup. So, um, I was playing in, in Quebec then. And, and I mean, all the NHL, all the French guys, they went to the Quebec league and guys were making huge money. I mean, shit, Le, Le in Quebec sold out like yep. on a night basis. Well, Tuesday night game, <coughs> 15,000 people for a Tuesday night game. You know what I mean? Yeah. It'll, well, you'll brought, never see the likes of it again. Well, you brought up Quebec, and like you said, with the lockout and everything, and you're playing there. And there's a few names I want to ask you about, but of course, um, you know, you had Sylv- you, know, you know, you had Sly Blue Ann and Remy Royer and all them come, of course. But you and uh, who was the goalie? The Island- he was an Islander guy, Fisho, and uh, oh yeah, but yeah. and oh, we had Red Light Rassico. Yeah, was uh, was our goalie and was was our goalie in Saint John, and I. I always remember, and I was like, how bad do you got to be to get a nickname Red Light? He didn't like that very much. <laughs> well, one of the names... I, can't... I said that on the very first day, and I was like, how bad do you got to be to get a nickname Red Light? <laughs> well, of course, of course, one of the names, the big name in Quebec that I have to ask you about was Brashear. Donald Brashear, of course, was there. Um, did you get along with him? I I did up until a certain point, and then he he pulled some. Oh yeah, and I crashed his Lamborghini. That didn't that didn't go over well. Well, you can't just gla- really, you can't really just glaze you can't just glaze out. over that story. Oh. You got to tell the story. Time out, time out, time out. So I didn't I didn't so much crash it as I just planted it into the curbside and folded the wheels under a little bit. Tiny bit. So he, but, you know, shit happens. So he he wasn't a fan of Aaron Bow after that. It's what you're saying, obviously. He wasn't a fan of mine. I go, well, and you know, part of the thing was too is he used to get pissed off because, uh, well, first of all, we we I started not looking at him the same as when he dribbled the guy's head off the ice repeatedly, and the guy was like unconscious, and he jumped the guy. Uh, you know, like he really 
he really picked and chose his spots, right? And I mean, I get it. You play in the NHL and stuff, but trust me, there guys came knocking on his door every single night, and for most nights he would he would pass. Or what he would do is he would wait until the guy was coming off the ice, and then he would jump him. And I was like, you know what, man? I was like, for a guy with a reputation like that, I was like, I don't know. I wouldn't be handling myself like that. You know what I mean? If you don't want to fight every night, yeah, I get it. Totally, I get that. But it was the way he, it was the way he did his business that I don't know. It never, uh, well, do you, never really, it never really sat right with me. And if you you can go, we were playing Tetford, and he grabs the guy who's not even a fighter, and he just dribbles his head off the ice. Like I don't know, man. Yeah, he and got, we had. That was uh, a- we had guys for I thought were tougher than him. Jason Hamilton, uh, like Sly. Sly was real tough. He didn't have to fight very much, but Sylvain Bluin was tough. Well, yeah, J- Jason Bowie, uh-huh. uh, Jason Payne. Yeah, uh, yeah, Payne, Boyley, well, Boyley, super tough. Boy, that's another guy that was real underrated. Well, of course, and I have that's to, br- I have Boyle. to bring He's up, I have tough. to bring up uh, Jacques Dubé. Oh. The Golden Jacques. This guy, yeah, so apparently just an absolute salt-of-the-earth gem of a man. Like, real, real sweetheart of a guy. But, yeah, apparently he was a collector before he started playing uh, hockey. And, like, he could barely, literally, it was like you almost wanted to slide a metal chair out there for him to skate around with. Like, you felt bad. Like, that's how little the guy could skate. At first, I was like, are these guys fucking serious? This guy's going to fucking break his ankle out here. Like, he was that horrible. And he, he did get better by my by the fourth year that I had seen him. He'd gotten better. I think the very first year he was playing for the Ace. They were, all, they were, called, the, were they called the Quebec Aces before yes. they changed to Radio X? Yep. Yeah, the Quebec Aces. And they had green... Like, he literally... He was, like, leaning on his stick just to keep himself upright. And so however he did it, though, he would grab a hold of a guy in a fight. And I was like, well, if that guy falls down, Jock's falling on top of you because he can't keep his own balance. But let me tell you, that guy, tough. And just like I said, he was a complete sweetheart, one of the funnier guys that I met. Just an awesome dude, Jock Dubé. Yeah, like, like imagine, imagine literally... People, guys that can't skate. So for all the people that just go out and play beer league hockey, you know, the one dude that didn't start playing hockey until his 20s. Yep. Literally, that was Jock Dubé, except fighting some of the toughest names ever to don <laughs> don the wooden skates. Like, literally. Well, I was going to so, ask you. Like, was, when you- yeah, he, was, he was amazing. He was actually amazing that, that he could even stand in there because he could skate that little. Well, I was going to ask you, like, when Brashear and Blue Ann and Remy Royer and, like, these guys come from the NHL and they're in the locker room with you guys and they kind of, I mean, not you, because, I mean, you can play and stuff, I mean, but, like, they look at a guy like Dubé and stuff or, or like, you know, Valentin or uh, Valente and stuff. Are they just, like, are they big league? Like, are they just, like, what the fuck are we doing? Or do they kind of, like, did they get along with everybody? Or well, they- like, Brashear, Brashear walked, Remy was a great guy. Both Remy and his brother were good guys. I fought his brother uh, in Tetford there. Uh, the the Royer brothers were good guys. I was playing with uh, Bouchard. He was my D-man. He played in the show. 
Uh, who else was there? French guy. Uh, forward. Where, in Quebec? Yeah, Quebec. Big guy. Played in the NHL, too. Was awesome guy. The only guy that walked around like his shit didn't stink was, was Brash. He was the only one. Yeah, like at first he was okay. And then after that it was, yeah, whatever. Pierre Sevigny? No, no, no. Okay, now Pierre Sevigny was really good too, but it was the guy that played with Pierre Sevigny. It was the centerman. Pierre was a winger, I think, and he played with, oh, my God, this what? guy played. Oh, LaRue? Jean-Yves LaRue? He was our captain, I think. Jean-Yves LaRue? Jean-Yves LaRue, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Jean-Yves LaRue, that's him. Yeah. So, I mean, we, they, we, we had a really good squad there. Yeah. So you look at some games, and, uh, like, that's a good team. A really good team. How how because you always hear the stories of like the Hell's Angels and stuff. How involved were the Hell's Angels early on there? Did you notice it at all? Well, like I I mean I don't know, but all like I as far as I know, like there was some when I was in Sorrel, I know they had a clubhouse there. They were at, at all our games. Um, I didn't really you, you didn't see vests or anything like that. But all I do know is there was owners betting against owners sometimes ten, twenty thousand dollars on who was going to win a fight or who was going to win a game or who was going to win a series. I know that there was money being gambled on. I know that. Yeah. Because it'd be fun, right? The owners would take the whole team out for something to eat. So taking uh, twenty animals like that out for uh, booze and food. I mean, that's a uh, fifteen thousand dollar bill right there yeah like well so, I, I gotta throw a few yeah. i gotta throw a few of the names of the we, well i kind of glazed over this in your first year but i know for the first couple of years that you were still in the quebec league or he was still in the quebec league when you first got there was gates did you ever have any run-ins with link oh the missing link yeah and i think i told the story about the missing link earlier didn't i that's i can't remember in, that. The, in the earlier episode in toledo when I yes. went in, when I to Toledo, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I told the story about Link. You know what? So funny thing is, Link had come and he was in Saint Jean. Like I, I, and because I'd already known him in uh, um, yeah, Toledo, Link had a soft spot in his heart for me. And I used to, I used to smoke the herb with with Link all the time so everybody else would be like oh jesus christ link and i i'd hang out with him and stuff i always thought link was a sweetheart uh some of it is an act and some of it isn't you know it's just depending on what kind of mood he's in but let me tell you there's not that many individuals on the face of the earth that (laughs) that are much tougher than that guy like think of all the guys that you've talked to uh, over the course uh, of you doing this show, how many times has that guy's name come up? Oh, yeah. Always? Like, yeah. You, listen, in the hockey world, your nickname was the missing link. What kind of a man do you got to be to garnish a hockey nickname like the missing link? <laughs> no, exactly. And, I mean, there's a lot of peaches, a lot of beauties. Right, the Grim Reaper, Stu Grimson. There's, you know, the Twister. Like, there's a lot of big, 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 heavy. But there's 
there's only one missing link. That's right. Yep. That guy, they, there, there will be never. They, there may never be another human being like that on the face of the earth. That, that's for sure. Oh, exactly. That is sure. That guy was a treat, man. Like well, there was, like I literally, if you, if you know, we. This is a funny thing too, is because I'd already kind of crossed paths with Link even before I knew him because of Spokane. Yep. His his stamp was on everything, on the bathroom shitter, on the walls, on the ceiling, everywhere. Just Link Gates Seven. <laughs> it was everywhere, and then. I'd, I'd had my brief uh, meeting with him in Toledo, and then when he came out to the Quebec League, we used to hang out all the time. So I got to know him pretty pretty well. And uh, you know what? I mean, a lot of people probably forget too. He was in that real bad auto accident. Well, that's what ended his remember, NHL career. Yeah, when he left, when he left the NHL, he had just fought Proby to a standstill twice. Yep. Right. Yep. You go back and watch those fights, and you tell me. And then it was right that year he got in that car accident, and he was never the same after that. Mm-hmm. He just, I mean, he had skill, too. A lot of people forget the guy could shoot the puck 90-plus miles an hour. He was actually a power play defenseman. He had hands, too. He could he could play. And then after that uh, accident, it fucked with his motor skills, and he couldn't turn to the left very good anymore because I remember because I was playing an exhibition game against him. I was with Vancouver and he was with Edmonton when Edmonton had signed him. And I came down, I think like I was going to the inside and I went around right to 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 the outside to his left. And instead of him turning to the left to go at me, he just spun around right, two-hand chopped me over the arms. And I was like, oh, fuck, I thought I broke my arm. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just remember to dump it into the opposite corner next time I come down on you. <laughs> yeah. He was a scary individual. Oh, yeah. That's, like, he'd be down. Like, he, he would do things like, uh, shit, what did I see you do? He'd be down, you know, like, this is before the game, right? Before war, before anything. And, you know, the old wood sticks. This was still back when everyone used wood sticks. And you'd be torch, using the torch and... You know what I mean? Bending yep. your sticks and bucket of water. He would just walk over to the other team's thing, grab their torch and bucket of water, and walk it right back over to his thing and start using it, and nobody would say a fucking word to him. Yeah, go ahead. That's obviously yours, Link. <laughs> he would go on the other team's bench, start flexing sticks, take a, take a stick off the other team's bench and go skate warm up, break it, go back on the bench, grab another stick. Nobody would do anything. They're like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's fine, Link. I got two more in the in the dressing room. Never mind. That's that's fine. Yeah. He, uh, oh yeah. A unique individual. Um, well, I, I we've talked so much. I mean, because we've talked privately too on the phone and stuff, setting stuff up. And I've you've told me so many stories. But what was the uh, you briefly mentioned it to me on the phone? Uh, the something about underneath the rink, Serge Labelle and a car. Oh my God! So so get this. So this is. Uh, I'm trying to think. Who the hell was it? It was Serge LaBelle and this guy. He played for oh, fuck. he played for Saint George Garaga. Uh, Blonde haired French kid. Uh, I guess Serge Serge LaBelle. It was either was it Serge that hit him or was it 
I can't remember. Somebody there. I'm trying to fuck, dude. I'm sorry because I was telling you about the sport and it slipped my mind who exactly it was, but it was either Serge LaBelle or, and I don't think it was Link or maybe it was Link. I don't know. Hit Serge with his car underneath, like ran him over underneath the rink in Quebec. Like literally just hit him. No, fuck you. Just hit him with his car. Because I remember, guess who the attorney was? James Small Print Linos took on the case. I actually told Jamie, I was like, fuck, Jamie, this is a great transition for you. He said, you can finish playing your hockey here and then represent half the league. <laughs> exactly. And they get I was like, it's, it's built right in for you. It's perfect. Well, it, it was funny because yeah. Matthew Barnaby, on his podcast, he played junior hockey in the Quebec, in like Quebec Major Junior League, against Serge LaBelle. And he was saying Serge LaBelle is the scariest human he's ever seen with Serge LaBelle. And uh, and then I noticed that, obviously, you played with him in St. Iaston and shit. This is obviously a few years removed. But I can remember him in that brawl that year, your final year, um, he dove on the ice in street clothes and tackled some. Oh, yeah. And that's oh, yeah. Like, Serge, Serge was tough. That, that, this is the thing, though. That league is so fucking crazy and so nuts that, once again, Serge LaBelle probably was at it junior, the, the craziest, nuttiest guy anyone had ever seen. He's still like number six or number seven on the list of crazy fuckers that played in that league and tough. Like Pat Cote. Uh, well, yeah. and there was a, another guy that nobody talks about. And this guy was a straight up killer. Matthew Rabby. Yep. That guy probably was their toughest guy, but nobody even wanted to fart on his side of the street in case it got on his coals. Like, literally, that they, they had, yeah. I mean, but Journey, you know, I mean, Big Mike, there's not too many men that are stronger. Like, I'll be honest, like, Badge, Mike Bajerni never won every fight he ever was in, but he never lost any. I never watched him get knocked down. I never watched him get beat. He was just so big and strong that you couldn't really do too much to him. You know, Chad Richard was so big, so strong. Rabby was just a killer. Pat Cote. Uh, like, Brashear, I would have put him somewhere. I mean, Boyley, was, I thought, was tougher than Brash. Badge had, had worked him that year. Uh, well, how about Joel, Joel Terrio? Know, like, oh, Joe, I was just about to say Joel Terrio. Like, I... You know, like, I guarantee you, like, I would pick Badge to fight over all of those guys. Right? If I had my druthers, like, if you were sitting over there and you're like, okay, which one are you going to fight? I go, I'll take Brash. No problem. Right? It's like Joel Terrio. Then, you know, it was funny. It's because when he first got in the league, too, a guy by the name of Steve Bosse. Yep. This guy was kind of like Jacques Dubé. He couldn't skate a lick either, but fuck was he game he fought and he got the shit beaten out of him i don't know how many times the first year pretty soon by the third year it was nobody beating him up yep right Marathi. right there was yeah. uh who is the old bedard has anyone talked about louis bedard uh, they should yep well they should yep me and me and uh brian rasmussen we used to have this running joke like, Bedard was about as wide as he was tall. 
and he had a big old coconut on him, and he always had his head shaved. And me and me and Rasmussen, we'd be sitting on the bench laughing. And I said to Ras, I go, Yo, Louis, be like, if we were gonna break into a castle, he's like, Get the Bedard! And literally, guys just grab him by his hands and feet and ram his head through a through a castle door or a drawbridge. Like there was so many meatheads in that league, it put a new definition on the word meathead. Yeah, like that does the meathead wasn't even a good enough word for it. I mean, literally, the toughest league ever, ever will be, ever again. Well, that league. And there'll fi- be nothing ever. Nothing will ever even come close to it. Nothing will even compare. I I urge all people reach out. Try to find as much footage as you can on this Gong Show Hockey League because I know there's stuff that 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 uh, leaks out from time to time. Like, well, I, I have, to- I, have to- I have to- I have tons of it. I have tons of footage from that league. Oh. Oh yeah, like you, you gotta put out as much stuff. Like if people, you want to see stuff that's just completely uh, diabolical. Sometimes, oh, like yeah. completely ridiculous. Here, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. We're in, a, we're in a uh, bench brawl, and we're in no is it a line brawl? No line brawl this time. Before the bench brawl had started, so the journey we had a guy by the name of Paquette, uh, big defenseman. Uh, I can't remember his first name, but his last name was... Who are you playing with at this time? I'm I'm playing in St. John. I think this is my second year when we're in St. John, and there's a guy by the name of Paquette, and he's a a D-man. Charles. And he's sitting... Is it Charles Paquette? That's it. Charlie Charlie Paquette. So, Charlie, he's in the penalty box, but he's sitting on the penalty box, Right? Right yep. next to our bench, and his feet are dangling over. And I don't know what had happened, but we we all gave bad shit for this too. He just skates over from his bench, says something to Charlie. Charlie says something back to him, and he just plows him right in the chin. And Charlie, like feet straight up in the air, knocks him unconscious, and his feet are like straight up over the boards, right? Like his head is on the ground, and his feet are poking up over the penalty box, and the brawl's on, right? And I got a guy by the name of Mike DeGurse. And if you can find this footage, DeGurse takes takes my helmet, he rips my helmet off, and he's trying to beat me with, with my own helmet, literally swinging the helmet at me and there's nobody to break it up so i like i i slip i duck i move around and on the footage uh, that i seen off to the top right of your screen i grabbed the gurse uh finally i get rid of the helmet i pop him a couple times i grab him though not the best skater old mike the gurse you should probably have him on too he's got lots of good stories pushed him up against the glass and then with my left hand, uh, where his would be his, yeah, my left hand, his, the collar of his shirt, I push him up against the glass and I grab the left collar and I wrap it around his throat and I grab the right part of his neck 
and I push it, and it twisted in my hand, and I push it up against the glass, and he's trying to punch me, and he's trying to hit me with his helmet, and all of a sudden, I choke him out, like unconscious with his own jersey, like uh, like <laughs> like uh, like an MMA using a gi, and all of a sudden, you just there's fights going on, and all of a sudden, you just see his legs go out from underneath him, and, and I'm right up against the glass, and I just set him down. And I let go, and I skate away. And it's quite, it's quite comical. Like there was shit like that. Like who tries to beat another man with his helmet, <laughs> right? And I don't even think he got a penalty for it. Like there was no nothing, no suspension, no nothing. No, oh, I probably got so, bonus cash. Yeah, yeah that, like, like nothing. Like that was that was the Quebec League. Um, and so we're in the playoffs, and then to jump to another one real quick. I'm in uh, Quebec. And I don't know why I was so upset or whatever, because I think I was in St. George earlier that year, and then I got traded to Quebec. And St. George wasn't a very good place to play. It was a tiny little town, and it was way the fuck out of the way. And it was right on the river, and it was just like just a tiny, tiny little place. like playing in Tabor, yeah. Alberta. You yeah. know, like 4,000, 5,000 people. So anyways... We're playing them in the first round of the playoffs. And all of a sudden, I think his name was Delisle. Jonathan Delisle. Jonathan Delisle, yes. They get into it with the the fans. And I see one of their guys, he was a season ticket holder. He used to sit right behind the opposing team's bench. Now, in Quebec, on the call is eight. Like there's only one tunnel, right? Both the 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 tunnel that where we come out is right next to the uh, visitors' bench. Now, when the visitors uh, go to their dressing room, they skate across the ice through the penalty box, and they're on the other side. But our hallway is right next to their bench, right? The two benches are right next to each other, separated by the hallway, which goes back into our dressing room. So I come running. We're the defensemen are on the other end of the ice. Uh, and there's this brawl breaks out with the fans, and I go running from one end of the bench, jump up in the air like I'm uh, Mel Gibson from Highlander, or uh, from Braveheart, sorry, and tomahawk chop, I think it was Delisle or one of those guys, right over the head with my stick, knock him off the glass, and now we're, we're into it uh, right next to the bench, then the fans are trying to reach down and grab uh, their players. So I st- and the, their their team is now up on the glass and they're beating our fans with with their sticks. So I start handing our sticks, which are in the hallway, I, up to our fans. So they had weapons too. I got a one game suspension for that. <laughs> I was a one gamer. There you go. Oh yeah, literally. And- our fans' weapons so they could fight back. Like, that was the kind of league it was. Oh, it's insane. Stuff that you would not even see in movies. Like, I literally, uh, I said this to a ton of people, the, the, the Quebec, the Quebec Senior League or the Quebec Professional Hockey League or whatever the hell they want to call it, made Slapshot look like the Mighty Ducks. Yep. And I'm not joking. No, it's true. That's what it, that's literally what it was. Like that Quebec League made Slapshot 
look like the Mighty Ducks. And not even the first one. The two shitty ones yep. that came after. Like, that's how crazy it was. And I'm pretty sure I'm not the only guy that's told you. Like, you no, have no, no every, idea. No, every, everyone's, into that. Yeah, everyone said that. Well, two of the last names I want to talk to you before we uh, wrap it up. But uh, in your final year at St. Ice there, two of the names, because he was a rookie in the league that year, and he just put on a show. 500 penalty minutes. Parker. It was Derek Parker, <laughs> and the other one was Manny, Fichette, Manny Fichette. Yeah, yeah. So, Parks, uh, evidently, he played his junior hockey in Lethbridge. Yes, he did. Also, for the Hurricanes. So, I already knew who, who Parker was, and uh, I'll, tell you, uh, I'll tell you a funny story. So, Parker got turfed, uh, from the Hurricanes, and I hope I hope he doesn't get angry that I tell this story, but it is quite funny because I heard firsthand from Maxi uh, in the summer uh, when we had run in, we'd ran into each other on the golf course. So Parks had come back. I think he was back for his second year or whatever, and he was just a 16 year old, and you know he's beating the shit out of guys. And Maxi's saying, you know, this kid's got a lot of potential. He Got to teach him a little bit of skills, but, you know, great kid. Uh, listens, you know, we'll, we'll uh, you know, we'll, we'll go through the wall for his teammates. So he got, he got caught shoplifting. And Max, he calls him into the office. And apparently he stole a pocket pussy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, from the, adult, from the adult uh, source there. Yeah. Yeah, from the adult, the adult source video story, he got caught stealing a pocket pussy. Well, Maxie wasn't very happy, and he he's got to do some, so he had to turf him. But I remember when Maxie was telling me the story, he's like, I've heard a lot of things. He says, fuck, I had to do everything I could just to keep it together and not laugh. <laughs> Anyways, Parks is a really good kid. Really good kid. He was a great teammate, and he's an all-around real good guy. That's that, for sure. But, but man, that year I was I was amazed because I mean I knew who he was and all that stuff. But I was amazed he did real like I thought he was going to get killed because he's just that's you know because he's not really that big, but he's got that unique fighting style. Because I remember talking to Dino about him, and it was just like he's just uh, it's just different. And he did really well that year, but man, he drove. I know he drove Patrick Cote nuts. Cote wanted to fucking kill him. Oh, yeah. Well, the thing was is like Dino said he he was okay. So he, you know, and actually, you know, it's funny. Dino's not that tall, uh, considering, right? Dino gave up a couple inches usually to Pat and those guys when he was fighting them. And Parks is probably what six two, six three, six three. He's about my size, but he's farm boy big and strong, right? Like he's he's kind of got a doughboy kind of frame, right? He, he's not. In, he doesn't look like he's in very good shape, but he's strong. He's just got that natural farm kid strength, and he didn't punch over the top. He almost threw these. I don't even know how to explain it. These they kind of from the hip like side hooks, right? So he had a different kind of uh, uh, swing plane than other guys do, right? And he was strong enough that he could pull a guy in, and he used to, and I, I don't know if Dino told you, but he'll, he'll, he'll pull you in, 
like he would use both arms. He would he would grab you um, at your biceps, not at the collar, so that he could he could feel where you you were punching, which hand you were going to throw it, and then he would. And I know this was something that Maxie taught him. As soon as a guy would go to throw either a left or a right, he would actually use your momentum, would pull you towards him, and then quickly jerk you back and let go with a left or a right and then tag you as he was pushing you away again. And he used to surprise a lot of guys. Yeah. And then he was, he was good enough that he could slip and he knew how to defend himself so there was a lot of fights where it looked like it wasn't going to go very well for him, and then he ends up just shit-canning a guy. Well, the big thing for him, too, is hey. ba- his, he was a good enough skater where his balance was good enough. He has really good balance. Yeah, no, he wasn't, like, he wasn't a horrible hockey player either. That was the thing. He wasn't horrible at all. No. But that was a tough year. That was, and that was, uh, unfortunately, that was, that was the last taste of hockey in my mouth because we hadn't been paid in. Yeah. God, it was months, and we were going into game four of the playoffs, and it was the first period. And I, at first, I'd said, "Well, I'm not going on the ice. I don't get paid. I'm not playing. I don't give a shit. I'm too old for this shit to play for free." And of course, oh no, it'll be okay. Come on, Bowser. And then we came in after the first period, and we were supposed to was sold out show. We were supposed to get the money from the gates, and they were, they told me. Yeah, yeah, don't worry after. We're just counting the money. And I went, yeah, yeah, okay, see you later. And that was it. That was it. I left in period two. Didn't go back out, and that was, that was the end of my... Uh, well, I know I know that happened to a few guys. Was that the first time? Like all the other times you got paid, no problem? It was just that last year? Well, yeah, yeah, that was the first time, but I knew. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I yeah. just know. You know what I mean? You've been around long enough. And they come in right before the playoff game, and I'm like, hey, wait a minute. People have already paid. You know what I mean? It's Saints of Saints. How much walk-up do you have? The place only holds 5,500 people, right? I'm yeah. like, it's playoffs. These tickets have been sold out already. As soon as they said, oh, yeah, the gates and then this and that, I went, ah, yeah, okay. No money come by second period. They said, we'll have the money after the first period. And when they didn't do that, you know. That was that. And, of course, I was correct. Nobody got paid. No, absolutely. Yeah. Those guys, went. I remember Parks and those guys. Well, I mean, you think about that. Guys are going out there to bleed and go to war, and they're not going to get paid anything. Guys can't even eat after the game. They got no money. Yeah. They haven't been paid in two months. Like, I, I don't know, you know, uh, when you're playing in the Quebec League, guys aren't usually trying to squirrel away their money. Right, like they're, they're. I mean, you're making okay money, but you're not making enough that, you know what I mean. You're going to get rich, or you're going to be putting a lot away. I mean, guys, there was you know, literally guys were on food stamps at the end of the year on that team. You know, yeah. couldn't even get guys are borrowing. I need to borrow twenty bucks to put in the gas so I can get to the game. So, yeah, it's why well, yeah, you know was, you talk to t- so many people, and like they said, when it when it was going good and the money was flowing, it was great. But it got it could get real shitty in a hurry, and and it's like trying to get money out of these guys. It wasn't happening, you know. It was so scummy in some spots, some teams, and you know it was. It's too bad because they had uh, they just overextended, right? They were just paying out way too much money, and it was just you know. And they're I don't know. It's uh, it's too bad because they killed it. It was it was good though. 
when it was cruising. Yeah, that was that, that was basically, and I, and I think it was you know that was the time because um, for all intents and purposes, that was pretty much the last year that the league was you know selling out and stuff. The NHL had come back now a full season, right? Yeah. After that, and that was pretty much the end of it. The you know she had a let's say a five year run where it was completely insane. Yep. But at the same time, it's funny, there was a lot of good hockey players still there. Right? We talk about all the fighting stuff, yep. but there was some guys that were top that were also real good hockey players. Right? And then there was a lot of real good hockey players that were also playing in that league. Okay? So, I mean, oh, at, I mean any yeah. given time, at any given time, each team had one, two, maybe even three uh, current or just retired NHL guys. Yeah. Right. So it wasn't like there was a lack of uh, of good hockey players there. Like I said, Bobby Dallas. There was a you know. Yeah. Remy the Royer brother. You know there was a. I mean a lot. Yep. You know. Well, so Bouchard, my my D partner, he had played previously the, the year before in Dallas, right? And, and you know was playing with Zuboff for Christ's sake. Yeah. Uh, the kid from Trois Riviere was playing for Edmonton, was a top four defenseman for them. So, you know, there there were a lot of good hockey players there, right? So anybody that, you know, and the Quebec people obviously would know more because they were, you know, all the French guys, right? So any of the French guys that, that had any uh, ties to either Europe in the top league or, or the NHL, they, they were playing in that league. So, I mean... It was a combination of both, where you could see some real good hockey, and then you could see some shit that you you can only read about. Yeah. No, exactly. Well, yeah, it was both. It was a. It was definitely a. What do you call that? It was a, an anomaly. It was a unicorn. Exactly. Never to be seen again. Nope. Well, so at this point in your life, like you said, you're 31, 32 years old. Uh, uh, did you did you know at this point like okay that's enough I got to get on with my life? Two thousand five. I think I'm older. I think I'm thirty four. Thirty four, thirty five now. Okay. I think it's two thousand five, aren't I? Somewhere at thirty three, maybe. Well, you got to remember too. I started at nineteen. Yeah. So I mean, I got twelve years in, and you know, a little bit. You know, my first year as a nineteen year old, I played uh, ten games. Uh, with Terry Raskowski in Columbus and then the playoffs. So that was my first taste. And, you know, by the time, uh, the other thing was too, is I'd torn my, I'm trying to remember who I got in a fight with. It was the last fight that I had, but I hit a guy right on the button. I, I, I want to say, what was the, either Trois-Rivières or Jean-Pierre, one of the two, but I had my jersey. Uh, the guy's jersey in my left hand, and I hit him right on the button, and he dropped. But I couldn't let go of his jersey. Like, it was wrapped up in my hand, and he dropped so fast, like I knocked him out, that when he fell, he fell he fell into me, and he fell so fast and hard that my left hand got turned up, and I tore the interior ligaments on my elbow. Like, I heard him pop. So for the rest of that year, especially when I was not getting paid, I, I was wearing like a, a massive brace on my left arm, like a knee brace, 
but for an elbow. Yeah. Where it was all like Kevlar and like molded Kevlar basically in graphite. And then have two swivel points, you know, like a knee brace would metal so that my elbow wouldn't pop out. And then I'd also torn uh, my MCL and uh, tore my meniscus. So I was going to have to get an elbow surgery and a knee surgery in the same summer and come back. And I was just like, oh, you know what, I'm too old for this shit. That's, you know, six months of rehab now. Yeah. Just to go back and do what? <laughs> Play in the Quebec League? Well, and what- I'd probably be gone back like I had offers to go you know go back to the East Coast League player coach or player assistant coach and I just you know after playing your entire life and that's all you've ever done you know I just I knew there would come a time and and that was that time when I was in St. Saint and I we were in a playoff game you know playoffs were to me were my favorite time of the year and I'd been fortunate. I, you know, won a championship in Quebec, won a championship in Peoria, had been to five finals, right, throughout my career. I, I think I only never not made the playoffs once or twice, right, in all those years. So that was, to me, we can, and my birthday was in April. So if we were in the playoffs, I was having a birthday either during a playoff game or, you know, right around right like while we're in the playoffs so it was always like my favorite time of year and i looked up at the clock and i'm like oh my god there's like 15 minutes still to play in this period i'm like you know as soon as i had that feeling i knew it was time time to go i'm just don't love the game anymore it's time to go right well one of the things one of the things I wanted to ask you about, like you had mentioned, you have talked about DJing and how you were, you know, you really got into it in Quebec and stuff and you did a lot of that. But I also know you really got into the under, I know we had talked about that when you were in Louisiana, New Orleans, you kind of really got into the underground kind of rave scene and shit. And, uh, is, is that kind of when you fell in love with the DJing thing? And, uh, how serious did you get? About yeah. So, yeah. So in Louisiana, this is, this <laughs> is, what year would that have been? Ninety nine, in the nineties, right? Ninety six, ninety seven. Yeah, like ninety six, ninety seven. Okay. Uh, in ninety six, ninety seven, you ever heard of house music? You even heard of techno music? No, because I hadn't. And I grew up in Lethbridge. There was no like, dude. I listened to Iron Maiden, Metallica, Judas Priest. You know, I, I was a good old Western boy. Yep. Drank beer, fought, listened to heavy metal music. Right? That's yep. what we did. And so when I first got introduced to it, it was actually funny. I got introduced to it in Columbus, Ohio. was the first place I'd ever got introduced to it. And it was a guy by the name of Craig Binns. Uh, he was a big old defenseman, kind of slow foot, but real good guy. He was, he was fairly tough, too. But he was—he was from. I want to say he was from Toronto or whatever. Yeah, he was an OHL. He was an OHL guy. Yeah, OHL guy. That's right. And he had these Chris Shepard Pirate Radio. I don't know if you remember that. No. Old Chris Chris Shepard uh, Pirate Radio. And this guy was a, a producer. I thought you know that uh, what is it? Love Inc. 
you know that band? Uh, You're a superstar. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Six twice. Anyways, he produced those. His name was Chris Shepard. He was a DJ. So that was the first time I used to go to the rink with Bins uh, in the morning. He would pick me up, and he had a he had a a Monte Carlo at that. And he would fire in this Chris Shepard uh, in the mornings, and I'd be like, what the hell is this? And he's like, it's good, huh? Anyways, and that, that's when I first got introduced to it. And then, um, when I was in Louisiana, I lived uh, right on the campus of, oh, what is it? Is it Louisiana? It's not LSU. It's Louisiana, Louisiana Tech? Or Louisiana. Anyways, there's a university there. Their football team sucks. They just won their first game against a ranked team in like 25 years. I think the last time they did was right when I got there. Uh, they're called the Raging Cajuns is the name of the football team. But it's like Louisiana, not Louisiana State, Louisiana Southern Tech, something like that. Anyways, so there were kids that lived right below me, and I lived above them. And, you know, I, I'm college age at, at this point, right? I'm 20, what, 23, 24, you know, some, yep. something like that, uh, years old. And I hear this boom, 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 boom. And, and it's like the middle of the, it's not the middle of the day. It's like in the, it's early evening. But I'm actually, you no, know, it's the middle of the afternoon. And these college students are downstairs and they're listening to music <laughs> and they're partying. Well, I got a game that night. So I go, I walk downstairs, I bang on the door. <clears throat> uh, this girl comes to the door and I'm like, hey, you know, uh, I'm your neighbor. I live upstairs. And she lived downstairs with her boyfriend and, and a roommate and his girlfriend. And they're all partying in the afternoon. It's like, you know, Friday or Saturday afternoon. And I said, you know, I, I play hockey for the Louisiana ice skaters. I mean, I need some sleep. Like, can you please just keep her down until... I get up at like five o'clock and then I head to the rink and you can crank it as loud as you want at night. Don't give a shit, but it's just right now. And they were super cool. And they said, yeah, no problem. I said, I tell you what, I'll leave you tickets. So I left them tickets to the game. They came there. We hit it off and they became friends of mine. And I went to a rave and I didn't, I didn't even know what a rave was. And I went to a rave called Zulu and it was Zulu two. And it was the second time they'd had this rave. And what it was is you went to the first venue on a Friday, right? And you, they, how you found out where these parties were was there would be a flyer. And then there would be a secret map encoded on the flyer, right? Like, so this particular one, it was in New Orleans. So it, it, a bus, a school bus picked you up in Lafayette. Uh, an undisclosed location that I, I didn't know because I didn't have a flyer. They just told me I'm coming with you. So you had to go to the first party to find out where the second night was, and then you had to go to the second night to find out where the third night was, and then you had to finish the third night to find out where the after party was. And that's how I got introduced to it. And then I started dancing, and I started, and then I really started to to get into house music and what the DJs were doing, which is basically sound engineering. Uh, I come from a musical background, so basically what you're doing is you're taking one song and another song, and you're blending them together so as if they sound like one song, 
which is essentially sound engineering. That's how you make tracks. That's how you, you know, make music in a studio. My father being a studio musician and a guitar player, uh, you know, I grew up playing the piano, guitar, uh, the flute. Just kidding. I didn't play the flute. <laughs> but I always thought it would be cool if I could play the flute. Like uh, Anchorman. God, I, I wish I could just jump up and play some jazz flute every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> anyways, anyways, uh, that's that's how I started getting into it. And then it just, you know, kind of slowly progressed. And then by the time I got to Europe, which was, what, two, three years later? Yep. I bought the whole setup and everything, and I actually started playing. Um, to some side stories, while I was in Finland, I got a call from Boy George who at that, you know, Karma Chameleon yeah. club. Anyways, he'd become a DJ, and I actually played on uh, KISS FM for, uh, Friday Night Essentials. Played at Ministry of Sound. Uh, my name got out there, and then basically it was me trying to keep a secret that I played pro hockey, and every year I would change my DJ name. I'd never use my own name, never use an alias. In fact, there's an article. It used to be... a uh, a magazine. I don't know if it's still around, but in Great Britain, there's a there was a magazine called. Oh shit! I mean, it was all about hockey in Great Britain, and they had a <laughs> they had a full full like uh, right in the middle, like the centerfold, you know where the staples are in the middle. They had a two page uh, expose on me called "The Dark Side of Aaron Bow," and it's talking about me basically moonlighting like going from a hockey game and then you know driving to sheffield to play at a big after hours club with you know 1500 people in the club and i'm djing but i'm going under an alias so nobody knows who i am right type deal yeah because at that time yeah there's not that many hockey people that have been all that happy he's like yeah he goes out and he uh spends all his time at after hours nightclubs spinning djing it wasn't really mainstream quite yet. So, well, so do you still yeah, do? Do you still do it to this like day? I, I still do it to this day. Yeah, my uh, my wife CJ Bo. She's a she's a singer songwriter. Um, I still create music. I still <laughs> play the piano. We've got a little studio here. Um, she's a she's a very well versed musician herself. Um, her dad's a good guitar player, so we come by it honestly. But yeah, and then now my thing is, is uh, I'm also an artist, so I also do uh, abstract painting, and uh, I do artwork uh, and, and different forms of abstract. So well, we, yeah, we had talked about that. Starting, said, I'm just starting to make prints. Yeah, yeah. yeah you yeah, said well, you're going to how things work out, right? You go. Uh, at the end of the day, even my buddies all laugh. They go, yeah, Aaron Bull, the artist, and they all laugh, right? Because if you see my hands, they look like mallets. Like, you know, like they, first of all, I don't look like a musician. Uh, I don't look like an artist. I don't even have artist friends. You know what I mean? It's just a, an, an odd thing, but um, I find it very therapeutic, very cathartic. It's um, It's almost the same, so... When you're playing hockey and you're in that moment, and then I was into mountain biking as well. Uh, right after I retired, uh, I ran a ski shop up in uh, Vernon, Silver Star. And 
and I would wax and do edges on boards, skis, bindings, and I basically ran the ski shop and the bike shop in the summer, and I hung out with the likes of Super T, Tyler Kloss, and Steve, the maniac, Romanuk, uh, the whole crew from Drop-In, if you remember the Drop-In series that was on. So all those guys lived with me, so <clears throat> all those different, um, you know, hockey, mountain biking, uh, extreme skiing, uh, you know, anything that forces you to be in the moment, right, where you're not thinking about the future, you're not thinking about the past, you're just being, you just are. Like, yeah. I don't try to be a hockey player, I am a hockey player. I don't try to be a DJ, I am a DJ. I don't try to be an artist, I am an artist. You know, that sort of philosophy where you're emptying your mind and you're just doing, being, Right, so that I think probably most of my life has been <laughs> has been after that pursuit, right? Finding things that uh, I can just be, just do with with absent of all thought. As strange as that may sound, no, I get it. Um, well, well, what do you do actually? Right, like you know, for uh, uh, I don't the cannabis and stuff. What is your job actually? What do you do? Okay, so my actual job is I'm a cannabis consultant. Um, so I help um, anywhere from just regular people that are that want to grow a few plants in their basement to uh, designing and building seventy thousand square foot facilities. Uh, I'm also into the hemp industry. I come from southern Alberta. My mom's entire family—they're all farmers. So I come from a farming background. Um, I help farmers um, locate and identify uh, genetics and varieties of hemp um, that are going to be useful, not just in the future, but right now moving forward, um, educating people on cannabinoids. Uh, Every person in this world, uh, and it doesn't matter what race, what religion you are, male, female, whatever, it doesn't matter animals we all have an endocannabinoidal system in our body and this endocannabinoidal system is actually more extensive than your nervous system and right now there's um, some guys that that are also um, on this same kind of path uh, riley cote uh, comes to mind right away we've we've talked extensively um you know basically tough guys and stuff you know the one of the problems is is we we laugh and ingest all this craziness and stuff like that. But I mean, at the end of the day, you're a fighter, yep. okay? And you're getting punched in the head. So people in Saskatchewan know only too well Wade Belak, um, you know, a guy that I knew, Rick Rippin. Right? There's there is a lot of extensive damage, CTE. Uh, hardening, plaquening of the frontal lobe uh, from concussions. All of these things um, can be helped, be rectified, and even and, and even fixed. Um, you know, with cannabino- ca- cannabinoids, cannabis, sativa, which is the actual proper term for it. So, hemp and marijuana, cannabis, right? They're both dogs, right? One has more of THCA, and one has less. Now, the only uh, compound in cannabinoids that 
um, can get you what you would call high or uh, has a psychotropic effect is THCA. And it's not even actually THCA. So THCA is a compound, but you have to uh, decarboxylate it, which means you have to burn off the last carbon atom before it turns into delta-9 THC, right? And that's the psychotropic effect. Now, all the other compounds in the cannabinoids have no uh, psychotropic effects at all, right? So, you know, over the course of time, this, this you know, marijuana or cannabis, uh, has been vilified a little bit when actually it's a medicine, it's a plant, it's not a drug. And the next frontier, and, and I already uh, am doing this, is microdosing on psilocybin. Right? For those who don't know what psilocybin is, magic mushrooms. Uh, all of these natural uh, things have effects on our body, and, and it, it creates um, an environment where your body can actually heal itself from the inside out. The problem with Western medicine and, and the big drug companies is they're not trying to cure anything. They're just trying to mask the symptoms. You know, you go to your doctor and you say, oh, I, I, got, a, I got problems A and B. And he goes, okay, well, take this, uh, take two of these, and then take three of these, and then take one of these. And then you come back and you say, oh, yeah, but I got the shits. I got dry mouth and my eyes are bleeding. And he's like, oh, okay, well, uh, uh Okay, take only one of these, take two of these, and try some of these, right? You're just a lab rat. And I, I just believe that, you know, there's there's so much natural, you know, what you want to call it evolution, God-given, whatever. There are herbs, there are medicines, there's knowledge that, that we have, has either been locked away and kept from us, or we've just lost over the course of time, but you know, for real, what I call mental well-being and stability and a happy life, you know, you, your, your body needs to be functioning uh, at a certain level, and we're depriving our bodies of, of these natural, wonderful medicines that that grow natural, right? We didn't put them here. Yep. Right? They, they were already growing here, right? And, and I... You know that—that's really what I'm into now—is just mental well-being and you know health and stability. Because I mean, if you don't feel right upstairs, it doesn't matter what's going on in the outside world, does it? Exactly. You know, and it doesn't matter how good your life is. Like Rick Rippin, he signs a just re-signs a contract and takes his own life. Okay, well. You know, right at that time, the NHL hockey could, had a, a chance. Let's go get into this. But it, you know, kind of like the NFL, uh, big business. We don't want to, you know what I mean? We don't want to scare people, you know. And, you know, it, and it is affecting, uh, I think, youth hockey because there are a lot of parents that are, that are afraid of concussions and stuff like that. But that, that's, you know, that's the thing. Educate yourself, right? Find out. You know, if if any of this that that I've just said on on this podcast you don't believe, that's great. Go look it up. Tell me I'm wrong. Right? And and this, and these are the things that that I'm into now is opening up that discussion. Right? Um, you know, hockey's a. It's not quite the same as it used to be, but I mean, it's a violent sport. You know, whenever you're. Whenever you're wearing pads and you're you're skating and you're doing more than thirty kilometers an hour and you're running into each other, 
I mean, it's like getting into a car crash every yep. single week. Yeah. You know, like that's literally what it does to your body. So, I mean, there's obviously there's going to be some long-term effects. Obviously, there's going to be uh, some long-term physical negativity that bestows one after after their career in hockey. You know, like I said, it, 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 it's it's all it's all fun and games, but when you retire, and you know, part of the problem and the issue is guys when they retire, what do they do? Right, especially guys that didn't go to college, they went to major junior. What what have they done their whole lives? They've only played hockey. That's all they know. So when the cheering stops, the paychecks stop, and you're just a regular guy. That is real hard for a lot of guys because they don't know how to be a regular guy. They've never been a regular guy. They've always been a hockey player. So it's not just the physical toll that it's taken on you, but now mentally you're not who you always believed you are anymore. You know what I mean? Your whole life is different. Yep. And it's hard for guys, you know, to take and... You know, I know there are guys that, that run into drug problems, right, that run into opioid addiction. Well, that's natural because when you're playing hockey, right, you, you're you hurt. You just go to the doctor and say, yeah, man, I'm in pain. Here, take some of these. Here, take some of these. Here, take some of these. Right? Well, unbeknownst to you at the time, uh, after 12 years of hockey and chewing codeine with your pancakes and popping painkillers, you're addicted to opioids. Unbeknownst to you, right? Because yep. before, well, you're just taking it so I could feel good enough to get out onto the ice. What happens when you're no longer on the ice? You still need to you still need to feel, feed the monster, right? I need those opioids. And I know there's quite a few hockey players that are that have gone down roads that you know they probably shouldn't have gone down but this is this is one of the solutions is using psilocybin and cannabis in order to regulate your body right in order to get back to that you know sense of normalcy so i i encourage all people to to do some research if you have somebody in your family that's that has uh mental health issues uh no matter what they are Please do the research and uh, look up Riley Cote, Body Check for Wellness. He's doing a lot of good stuff down in the U.S. You know, <clears throat> take it a step further. There's a lot of people going on these ayahuasca retreats too, right? There's there's more to this world than, than meets the eye. And, you know, to me, Mother Nature gives us everything that we need. We just need to pay a little bit more attention, I believe. No, absolutely. Well said. And like I said, uh, anybody listening out there, like I said, well, uh, you know, we can, you consult and that type of thing. If anybody gets a hold of me or, uh, I can direct them to you. And, uh, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. 100%. Like, I, I'm always here to help. And if it's nothing more than just a, an ear to listen and, and, uh, you know, I've gone through it, right? Yeah. Absolutely. I've gone through it all. I, I <laughs> you know, I, I understand what it's like to be an opioid junkie when you leave hockey, and and it's unbeknownst to you, right? We we grow up as athletes, drug addicts. What are you talking about? Yeah. But you just don't realize that when, like I said, when when the cheering stops and everything everything ends, you know. 
Yeah, no, it's it's tough on guys. And like I said, you and uh, Riley and uh, I know Scott Parker's involved with Riley now. And uh, yeah, I mean, you guys are doing really good stuff. So, no, anybody out there listening, uh, for sure, let get a get a hold of me, and I can uh, you know direct you to Aaron. Uh, also, apparently, if you uh, you know having a little rave and you need a DJ, Aaron's your guy. What's oh, your yeah. DJ, what's your DJ name anyway? DMT. D period, M period, T period. It stands for dosage, mass, therapy. There you go. DMT. Yeah, you can get a hold of me. I've uh, I've got the whole kit, the whole setup. So if you're, you know, I'm not cheap though. No, there so you go. People, uh, <laughs> Hit up Aaron oh, on no. Facebook. You can also see yeah. his art. His art's on there too. With, yeah, you can. You can go. You can, you can check out my Facebook. I've got a lot of my art stuff, and I'm I'm actually just starting to sell some of it now. I've, I've just uh, went and got super high resolution photos made. So I, at first I was going to sell the originals, but now I think what I'll do is I'll just make prints. And the great thing about this art is is it's black light art as well so how it looks like in the sunlight is one thing and then once you put black light and actually uh, what i do is uh i haven't quite got there yet but there will be led lights within the frame of the artwork with a little switch so at nighttime the actual art changes uh, and the painting uh, reveals itself in different ways through the use of LEDs. Well, there you go. See, I'm gonna see now that I I, I hope I'm gonna get the discount here. I need some art for the uh, for the foyer here of the uh, f- fourth line voice office. I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna I'm <laughs> gonna send you one free of charge oh, just because you're a hell of a good guy and you've been talking to a lot of good buddies of mine. So I uh, I appreciate it because it's given me some laughs and giggles. And I you know to be honest with you, I hadn't really even talk hockey or, or any of this shit in a long time so it's it's been uh it's been therapeutic cathartic and and it's been it's been it's been fun i i've actually i've really enjoyed this well i, I pre- forgot how much uh <laughs> oh i appreciate it man like it like i said it's been a fun conversation and then of course even besides our recording here i mean we've talked on the phone a bunch of times and getting to know you a little bit and share and hearing your stories and um, I really want to thank out there. I know he's listening. Is um, of course Dean Mayrad. If it wasn't for him, I mean, he was the one that put me in contact with you. And uh, uh, you know, your name's come up a few times. Jordan Roach talked about you, and uh, every and uh, been a bunch of guys. And everybody says the same thing. They're like, "Oh, fucking Bo." And it's always, always a good dude. And I, and I could vouch for it. Like I said, you've been great to talk to, and uh, you've been a great guest. I know people are really going to enjoy these, and. Uh, I mean, not saying this is never going to happen again. I know you got stories for days, so we could do a part two at some point. I hopefully. Oh, I'm oh, I'm sure we could do a part two, part three. It just depends on how crazy the show going to get. Is it? Are we going to really take her down to the depths? Because all I know is, is that we would if, if there would have been cell phones for the majority of my, we'd all be in jail. Well, yeah, there, you know that's all I know. We'd all be in jail. I will. I will give a quick uh, parting story about my <laughs> my chiseled from stone, most handsome roommate, Mister Dean Mayrand. So uh, I was single uh, when I when I got to Saint Jean, and I quickly realized going out with Dino was a terrible idea. 
terrible idea because whatever girl you wanted, she didn't give two shits about you. Every girl was running towards Dino. Right? And if anyone's ever seen a picture of Dino, he looks like uh, like some sort of legionary. He's got the, the dimple, the, the ass and the chin, I call it. You know, the Jay Leno, he's got, he just, he's Dino, right? He's oh. got a presence for them. So I got smart real early on. I just stopped going to the bar. I would just simply wait at home. One thirty, two o'clock would roll around and Dino would just bring four girls into the house. And that was that. I just I didn't even have to get off my couch anymore. I didn't even have to put clothes on. I would just sit in my underwear, smoke weed, have a couple of beers, play Call of Duty, and wait till the wait till the hottest four girls from the bar came back to my place. Didn't have to lift a finger. Like, she, like shooting fish in a barrel. He was a he was a great roommate. That's all I know. <laughs> he was a great roommate. <laughs> there we go. Well, hey, there's the story. Hey, you know what? Of Aaron Bo. I never had to spend a dime, and they were already well lubricated when they got there. See? Right? Just, just basically didn't even have to put a uniform on. Just basically skated out there in my underwear. Ready to go. Living the, live, live the dream. <laughs> there you go. Now, Dino was helping me live the dream. I didn't do anything after a while. I got real wise to it quick, too, because it was just like, oh, this is ridiculous, man. Can't go anywhere. Like, literally, I, I remember walk, I watched a girl rubberneck him so bad she ran into a goddamn street sign. Almost knocked herself unconscious. Yeah. She's walking across the street, walking across the street, and she's looking. She points at her friend, and she's like looking at Dino, and I watched her walk right into those one of those no-parking signs and almost kill herself. That was Dino. Well, I mean, just, the guy's hanging out with... He's jo- got that magnetism. Well, the guy's hanging out with Justin Timberlake and doing movies. Yeah, well, exactly. He, he's the machine. Exactly. Right? He's the toughest guy in pro hockey. He, yeah, right? When you're the champ, you're the champ. Exactly. Yeah. When you're the champ, you're the champ. And I knew, I knew well enough to know that I wasn't the champ, but that was the next best thing. I was the champ's roommate. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Darren, it's been a it's been a small slice, buddy. I hope we get to do this again sometime. And uh, yeah, just remind listeners if you know if you want to get a hold of me, you want to talk to me about anything uh, as far as uh, mental health and and you know things like that of that nature. Please get a hold of you and uh, you know artwork, art, music. That's cannabis, psilocybin. Those are those are my fortes now. There don't, you go. Don't call me. For hockey, only you can call me for hockey from now on. Everything else is going to be things in the future, not in the past. Excellent. Well, thank you very much again, and uh, we will definitely talk to you soon. Thanks, Aaron. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I just want to say one thing: Jordan Roach is an idiot. <laughs> just. <kidding. laughs> I know he's listening. Oh, absolutely. Uh, oh, yeah, and and I got I got to give a shout out to Mike Bajerni and Brian. Rath Holson. Two other real beauties. Well, I got to get Badger. Oh, the, I got to return way, Badger. I got to get him on the show. Get, you got to you got to get Rath Holson on the show, and you got to get Johnny Hewitt on the show. There we go. Well, I'm work on it. He's got some serious stories. Like people look up John Hewitt. I will get him. Got to get him. I will. All right. All right, man. Thanks, Darren. Thank you very much.
and you people that don't like fighting, how many of you did you walk out and get a coffee while that was on?